Sing a little bit. I want to hear you just sing. You got a microphone. You should feel natural right now. Hello, this is me. You don't know the words anymore. Sing me a song, please. Sing me a song on the piano. Baby, like a real song? Yeah, sing something. Just like feel it a little bit. There was one time there was a... You can edit. We're going to edit all this, right? This isn't going to go live. No, this is live right now. Do, oh, do the, the very beginning of, of Randy Couture's favorite Rascal Flatts song, Fast Cars and Freedom. Staring at you, taking off your makeup, wondering mm. why you even put it on. on. I know you think you do. Oh, well, baby, you don't, you don't need, need it. it. Wish that you could see. What I see when it's gone. Keep going. This is when it gets good. I see a dust trail following an old red Nova. Baby blue eyes, your head, head on, on my, my shoulder. shoulder. Oh, wait, baby, don't move. Right there it is. T-shirt hanging off that dogwood branch. That river was cold, but we gave love a chance. Yeah, me. You don't look a day over fast cars and freedom at sunset. Riverbank, first time feeling. <laughs> Can I release the vice grip now? <laughs> <laughs> that is unreal good, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. That song, like, and you wrote that. Mm-hmm. Is it multi week number one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's think seven week number one. Thing. Seven weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that was a lucky one. Lucky. I'm a lucky man. Had a good year, boys. <laughs> get, get, get the extra grade. I want to start this off by thanking some guys that really worked their tails off tonight. Cajun Boy Catering out of the great state of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Dalton and Brett. They actually said they might have a, a, a. I learned this word in California a couple months ago. The Italians they called a good bite. That's a good bite. You know, like they give good you something. Bite, that's yeah. a good bite, right? Gave me a little palm or something. Like that's a good bite. So they're gonna bring over. Here come this. This is Brett right here. Dalton and Brett. This is Dalton. Oh. What do we got here, fellas? Little charred oysters, fresh off the boat. Danny. Louisiana oysters. Hey, sir. Oh, can I get one of those? Let me. I'll give one to hand. Is it true, Gary uh, Lavox, that these are an aphrodisiac? You tell me after you eat it, please. <laughs> Let's keep the cameras rolling, boys. We'll see how we turn it. Yeah. Let's talk about what comes up. <laughs> oh my good night. Oh yeah, Randy mm. Couture's getting that another one. He's on a high protein oh, yeah. diet. That's right. I'll have another. You want another one, Hendo? You need another one, Hendo. You're starting to go back into training. I gotta keep up with Randy tonight. I guess. No, I'm good. No, give it to Randy. I eat like this all the time. Randy, eat that third one. Randy Couture's about to have his third oyster. You can't let those go. He's gonna be (laughs) sleepy. God, eating oysters with Danny. Yeah, you're eating oysters (laughs) from Cajun Boy Catering, Brett and Dalton. Thank you, guys. 
But I wanted to bring them up, guys. They did tonight. They did alligator. They did catfish. They did oyster po' boys. Redfish. A redfish and catfish. Yep. And getting ready to throw down on some of the grasslands wagyu by our good friend Brian Stan. Soft shell crabs. They worked their tails off this morning when we before we went hunting. They did that shrimp and grits with the boot in. Yep. Yesterday they did a bunch of food. That asparagus wrapped uh, with uh, bacon. Bruschetta. Bruschetta was that bruschetta? Yeah, I thought it was bacon. That was awesome oh, food. That, looked that amazing. was really good. Yeah. That's what happens when you don't kill nothing. You got to bring Cajun boy catering up in the camp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When the weather's not right for nothing. Hey, Let's talk about hot. that. Hunting goes sometimes that way. <laughs> but Couture, you would admit that this is pretty good food. Absolutely amazing. Very good. You're you fast. You intermittent fast. Hopefully so you, that was uh, worth the trip without ducks. I mean. <laughs> Kendo, shut up. We'll get into the ducks. Kendo. <laughs> There's still time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, real uh, quick, though. I'm, I'm, Can we give Cajun Boy Catering a round of applause? Oh, absolutely. Let's go, boys. Thank you. Unbelievable. They were brought up by my good friend, Brian McGee, the founder and owner. Him and his brother, Mitch, have gator coolers in Louisiana. Uh-huh. And last year, when they come up here to Oklahoma, he's like, hey, I'm going to bring the, some buddies I met down here. They get, they're starting up a catering company. They both went to culinary school. And they're getting their start and he, you know, he introduces them, networks them to different companies and organizations so they can get, you know, get their feet wet. And then here they are a year later and their business is blowing up. And I mean, you can taste it's freaking yeah. awesome food. So thank you to Cajun Boy Catering. This episode of the Foul Life podcast is brought to you by Cajun Boy Catering and Gator Coolers. We'll get back to that in a little bit when you hear our commercials. I want to get back to that song real quick. Um, Fast Cars and Freedom is... One of 18 number one hits, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. <clears throat> I don't know who what band has the most. I would guess Alabama or George Strait. Yeah. No, no, I know George Strait is a solo artist, but I'm talking about bands. Oh, oh, okay. yeah, probably are you guys? I mean, you guys are right there. Like, you guys are there. Like, you guys won how many Grammys? You had 18 number one hits. You sold, I don't know how many stadium tours out. I mean, I think you were the first country act to sell out Wrigley Field, if mm-hmm. I read if That's I read right. right. Yep. So looking back on it, Gary, like here you are at hunting camp in a little lodge, and I want to send a huge shout out to Mr. Russ. I don't think he went to bed, but Russ Higby, this place, Law Dog, yeah. is unbelievable. He's the man. Um, Absolutely. We were introduced to him through Brian Stamps, the guy that is providing all this freaking Wagyu. Like, where do you go in the world where you just get Wagyu given to you like it's Skittles? Like Japanese Wagyu. He's a pretty badass dude, Brian yeah. Stamps. Um, oh, hell, I've never even had anybody give me Skittles. What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but So we get to meet Russ Higby. He lets rolls out the red carpet here like Stamps does every year, Blue and Trey and everybody at Flatline Outfitters, but you're sitting here and you're like, you don't even know that you've done that. You know, if you're just a a normal dude talking to you, have you always been that way? Did you ever, did the ego ever get in your way? Did it ever come up in your career to where arrogance or ego almost prevented you or or almost stopped what you were doing? I don't know if it did. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, there's nobody that's equipped to handle all that kind of success so quick with, yeah, ego gets in the way, but it's yet, you know, hopefully you got good people in your life that that'll ground check you, you know, and keep you humble. But yeah, it's, you do, you start believing in your own hype. There's no way not to really, you know, especially when you're just an old country boy from Ohio and never thought anything would happen, you know, and you start getting that kind of success and, you know, like, outselling Elton John and Billy Joel and tickets. And I, I mean, you just, you can't dream that big. So yeah, you gotta, it takes some, some good people around you to keep you grounded and 
to knock you in the head and go, come on, I mean, this has nothing to do with you, really, you know? I mean, it was, God gets all the glory for that because it's, you know, I mean, I haven't had a singing lesson or any of that stuff, you know, so. You've never had a singing lesson? mm If you were to have somebody around you to knock you in the head, to knock you off your high horse, would you want it to be one of these two guys or somebody? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, would, I would pick a Chuck Wicks or a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. or, or your wife. Yeah, or my wife, yeah. yeah. Not Dan Hendo Henderson or Andy no, the Natural Couture? No. And I've been such a fan of Hendo and Randy for so long. It's just so weird that we're friends and they're just... I mean, they're, they're legends, man. They're legends. It's crazy. Well, I mean, I, I don't categorize you as a le- legend yet because you're still killing it. They're, they're retired fighters, and we're going to get into that. But the, the career that you put together is legendary, hmm. even though it's still, you know, you're still, I mean, That's I've been better. backstage at the Opry with this man twice now, and I've ne- like the Opry crowd like literally loses their shit when Gary LaVox goes out and does mm-hmm. fast cars or, I mean, any of the hits that Rascal mm-hmm. Flatts had. I mean, even like Mayberry, like, I don't know if I was a huge fan of that song and I saw you guys live so many times. So it's an honor to have you in camp. And I really wanted to get that out there that humility is such a huge thing of like, you know, there's people like Brian Stamps. I don't know if he's in here, but Brian's got money. And you would never know he has a dime. He's just so giving, right? So it's like, that's why that's the, that's what life's all about is that no matter where you're at or, or what you achieve, it's always remembering where you came from and then mm-hmm. being surrounded by good people. Cause without that, yeah, none of this is worth a shit, right? It's no. like, you know, the first time I started hanging out with Hendo, you, I, I remember it vividly of being in the hard rock, you know, it was like one of our first big dinners together and i had benelli there which is our title sponsor and you know they're all excited to be around dan henderson and we couldn't even get from the center bar and hard rock to nobu because of the autographs and i know that you go through the same thing when you're in a fight city like that or anywhere else in the world and we were just in a little place called sids the other day and you get hit up you want to get they want to bring you back and put spatulas in your hand like you're cooking pancakes on the griddle and gary lavox is in our restaurant you know like how 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 does that happen randy couture and, and how did it um in your life did it ever sit in like man i'm like I'm signing a lot of autographs. I'm taking a lot of pictures. Did it ever change who you were? Going back to my question to LaVox, did did you ever have to pinch yourself or get knocked off that high horse too? Because all of a sudden you're like a, you're a military guy. You're a college wrestler. You're a hardworking American citizen. But now all of a sudden you're world famous, like on a huge platform. Yeah. Did it, did it, did it take a while to transition? It, it, it's still strange to this day, honestly. And I remember the first time I recognized that my life had changed and things were going to be different. I'd come back from my first fight in UFC 13 and went to Costco to do the normal thing at Costco and some guy freaks out, oh my God, you're Randy Couture, I saw you, I saw you fight last weekend. He runs up, buys a nine pack of the Instamatic cameras so he could yard one out of the box of nine at the Costco, take a picture with me and I'm like, what the hell just happened? And, and I recognized in that moment that my autonomy was gone. That life had just changed. I'd, I'd become a public person and I better not be scratching my butt or picking my nose in public because there's a fair chance somebody's filming that yeah. or watching. Yeah. So. You just aged yourself with that story. Yes. <laughs> I don't think you I'm know. Sure. I'm old by now. Where have you been? I'm not sure if anybody 
nowadays knows what those cameras are. Yeah, <laughs> the new generation, true. anyway. Those are the ones where people used to make the mistake and put them on every table at a wedding party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you'd go oh, to yeah. get the pictures developed. Tanks. You'd be like, what the? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that must be Lenny's table. Yeah, that's Lenny's table. <laughs> oh, that's Lenny's table. Hendo, when you, when you think of a friendship, lifelong friendship like you've had with Randy Couture, um, does do, I really want? I really want to get into this question because every single day of my life, I'm just like bewildered. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like, I'm 48 years old now, and I, you know, I started Bandit in 2011, and it seems like you just you, when you have that kind of a something happen, you never really work a day in your life. But time flies by because every day is so fun, and they say the funner, you know, the 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 more fun you're having, the faster it goes, and and. Is it hard to, to 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 get into this part of your life? Do you ever have to sit back and and go like, man, I gotta I gotta slow down a little bit because all of a sudden we're in our almost fifty. You are fifty now, and is does it ever work? Does it ever like beat you up at all that you're getting that you're aging? Because at one time you were you were in a ring, you had an eight pack, you're freaking beating the shit out of Fedor, and you're on top of the world, and now you know you're you're fifty, like. Does it ever worry you? Do you ever get scared of getting old? Does aging f with you at all when you're such a high power well, athlete? I mean, it's not like I enjoy thinking about that, but I mean, yeah, it, it you know the thought comes up, and and my biggest thing nowadays is just I got to get back in the gym a little more because when I do stuff yard work around the house, I'm getting you know I get a little sore from that, and I I never and the last 15 years of my fighting career, I never got a sore muscle just because I was always in shape and I'm not that way now, but you know, and, and yes, time has flown by the last 10 years, a lot faster than the previous five years, you know, just, and I don't know why it just, and, and, you know, I am busy, but I try to slow it down and try to, I just try to enjoy the moment in the day and, you know, and and make sure that I got people around me that that I like to be around. You feel the same way, Randy, in a world of instant message, instant messaging and texting, and and I mean, shit, it's it's almost hard to have a conversation in the duck blind now because if they're not flying, everybody's like on busy phone. on their phone. Yeah. It's almost almost pisses you off to a way to where like it is you a, look back on it and you're like, we just had an opportunity to have an unbelievable conversation. But we're too wound tight on living vicariously through somebody else or everybody's living their best life. And how many likes is this getting? I know you're old school. You come from the old school, but you also you, you'd be ignorant not to be part of social media, they say. So I mean, it's become a, a big tool in, in the business world now. So you've got to be on the platforms and you've got to have a presence there and, and get your brand out there and all those things, because that's what in, in it's such an odd thing. It's such a dichotomy. We're never more connected in the in the history of man than we are right now and at the same time we're never more isolated because yeah. we're all right here doing this instead of talking it. to each other and sitting yeah. at, the, at the bus stop or wherever and talking everybody wants to know why customer service went to hell in a handbasket because yeah. none of you can put your phones down long enough to order your damn coffee and that's why that person working that cash register is pissed off. Yeah. You're not even paying attention. You're still texting on your phone while yeah. you're trying to order coffee. You're not get I mean, a conversation outside we, of their we, phone. We've, yeah. we've kind of traded one for the other. It's kind of a weird dichotomy and thing. I don't know if any of you watch Social Dilemma. 
but it kind of made me want to smash my phone. Me too. Yeah. It was it was crazy. So what does it mean to you as a person, Randy, to to be in a situation like we have the last 24 hours to get to be with Hendo again, to get around the Vox, to be in hunting camp? What is what does that camaraderie do for the soul? What does it do for somebody? Because you're you're yeah. you've been in 69, I believe you said, major motion pictures now. The the you know from from NCIS to, to 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 King of Queens to to the Expendables. Oz. I mean, there's a lot of lot of big movies you've been in, and you're getting ready to film again with Sylvester Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Dolph Lundgren. I mean, we're talking about big time movies. Yeah. But now, what does it mean just to get back with the guys, the old the 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 old school, and be able to look across the table and have a conversation and talk? Uh, we we've known each other for over thirty years. I mean, he's he's one of my best friends, and we go periods of time without seeing each other and it's like we never left we just pick right up where we were right. talking about what's going on and what's what's happening in our lives we've just we've been on this journey together we started fighting at the same time we're on the national team wrestling greco-roman wrestling for a long long time we've just and that's what it's all about it's not about how many likes you got on social media it's about the genuine connections that you have with real people and getting to spend time with those real people and that becomes a challenge when you get busier bigger you know more jobs more stuff being thrown at you all the time dragged in too many directions to say no and i i have to do a better job of saying no to this day but i had to develop new filters not everybody has your best interest at heart you know i know he's always got my back I meet a lot of people that put that on the front but on the back side they have an angle they have an agenda they have other things in their mind and you have to develop new filters you figure out who's real and who's not. Uh, being a professional athlete certainly is, is a tough spot. You're only as good as your last fight. Fans are fickle. And you figure out very quickly which ones matter. The ones that matter don't care whether you won or lost. And the ones that care about that shit don't matter. Oh, I like that. Gary, would you kind of re... Would you reiterate that in a way in the in the music business as well of you're you're very close with your fans you're very interact i don't know if there's a more interactive uh, uh you know yeah. as far as an artist with his fan base you love your fans yeah um what with what Katur just said do, do you do you really care what they think do you really want them to to love the new single like how how does that weigh on you when you get critiqued in so many different ways your whole career by fans and critics Critics, I don't care about. I never, I've never written or recorded a song for a critic ever. Never would. So that that never really mattered. It was funny because "Praying for Daylight," our, our first song, first review we ever got, it said, uh, "said Rascal Flatts puts out uh, new first single, blah, 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 praying for daylight." The review said, "Bouncy, bouncy, bouncy flop." That was the review. That was the whole thing. That was it. That's all they said about the song. Then it went number one. So. Yeah, <laughs> but that was it. That was the review of the single, bouncy, bouncy, bouncy flop. So at that point, I was like, and the more critics talk bad about you and stuff, the more albums we sold, the more everything, you know. So it, it's all about the fans, and it all starts and ends with a great song. You know, that's all that matters. Because if you don't have anything to go work, then you don't have anything to go work. So the song is the the most important thing, and you know. So we've just been fortunate enough to write and record songs that. You know, we've been able to tell their stories, you know. It's the universal lyrics, universal songs, stuff that we've all all went through, all have been through, you well, know. And nowadays, it's your fans 
typically take care of the critics for you. You don't yep. have to say a word. They, they, they get right on the bus and say oh, yeah. they take care of the critics pretty quickly. I mean, look at the Morgan Wallen thing. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, the fans lifted him up at a time that was so horrible, you know, in his career that it was just, you know, they carried him all the way through. Now he's got a chance to do huge things. Well, he is. He's doing it. Yeah, he's doing it. He's good, he's too. It. He's good. Yeah. He's good. He's, he's he's really good, really talented. Good songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, his good friend, probably best friend, Michael Hardy, a.k.a. Hardy, just wrote your new single. Yep, he did. Get Down Like That. Yep, Thomas mm-hmm. Rhett, Hardy, uh, Ashley Gorley, Jesse Frazier wrote it. Is that a first single you've done in a long time that you did not have a piece of the writing? No, the best song always kind of won in our camp. You know? Always won? Yeah, that didn't matter. I, th- I think you... You kind of pigeonhole yourself. You're like, look, I'm not recording it. If I didn't write it, I'm not recording it. You know, because I like Dina Carter after she did Strawberry Wine. After she had that giant hit, mm-hmm. she went into going, well, if I didn't, if I don't write it, then I'm not going to record it. Well, do you do you remember another Dina Carter song no. after Strawberry Wine? No. So I think it puts you in a bad place, especially when you live in a town with some of the greatest songwriters in the world. I mean, you can't sit there and go, you know, I had Jeffrey Steele sent me a, of what hurts the most, but I'm going to go cut a song that I wrote that, you know, and, and not cut that. That's just, that's ignorant, you know? And I don't think that you can, and the big thing is you're not a true artist if you don't write it. Well, somebody tell George Strait, because he didn't write one of his 57,000. Dean Dillon wrote like almost every one of them. Yeah. So that's a great point. Yeah. How does that song go that you just said? What was the name of that song? What hurts the most? How does that go? If you don't mind. What hurts the most was being so close. Having so much to say. That'd be $12.50. Send it Watch on. You walk away. Let's go. God, that song's good. Um, let me ask you both this real quick. You two. And you fought at 47 years old. I did. And I was at a bar. Oh, you fought right now. Oh. <laughs> I was at Winters in Nashville. Go ahead. And and you, you're at a point in your career to where you, and I, and I hope that this doesn't come off wrong. I'm just trying to go somewhere with, with the levels uh, in the security of the mind and the mental psychiness to, to be able to handle success, but to actually be able to handle what comes after all of that big success. 47 years old is old to me, in my opinion, to go into an octagon and fight. That's my age and I would get destroyed. Okay. Let's just be honest. Like that's not a normal fighting age. Is it because you were ready and you, you, you needed that fight or were you afraid because you needed that energy, that crowd, that, that, that training camp, that Mm -hmm. the media. And I want you to reiterate this too, Lavox about at one time you're selling more tickets than Elton John and Billy Joel. Right. And you're selling out the biggest stadiums in the world. Mm-hmm. And then your career kind of, you're, you're at another point in your career to where Rascal Flats is dismembered or disbanded. Yep. And you're, and you have a, a, a Gary Lavox solo career now, yep. but you're not selling out Wrigley Park. I want you to talk about the mental part of that, of the acceptance of like, when the lights go down, like when Merle said, mm-hmm. I kicked the footlights out and you, and you, in that, and that crowd's mm-hmm. gone or that crowd's smaller and the energy's not there and they're not, they're not chanting guitar natural. They're not doing anymore. Yeah. Is it hard to accept that? And do you go dark? How much mental aptitude and strength do you have to have for that part in your career? Well, that's a transition and, and transitions are difficult for lots of folks. Certainly transitioned a few times in my life and walking away from 
that sport that had been for 14 years, a huge part of my identity and who I am was, was a challenge. It took me a year to warm up to the idea even of, of retiring. Like it's time. I was in the camp in 08, getting ready to fight James Tony in Boston. And every old injury I'd ever had during that camp flared up for no particular reason. It was a normal camp. I didn't have any reason for the old Achilles tendonitis to flare up and the elbow and all this other stuff. And I started thinking about it. And it's the first time that thought ever crossed my mind. Like, man, maybe that's my body telling me it's time to do something else. And I think once you start having that internal dialogue and our crazy roommate, we all have a crazy roommate and recognizing that you control that crazy roommate, it does not control you. But um, you start having this dialogue about maybe it's time to think about doing something else to retire. And my acting career was going, all my businesses and stuff were going very well. And I was like, man, do I really want to suffer an injury in this sport? It's going to affect the quality of the rest of my life. This is the conversation I'm having with myself. And the answer to that question is pretty easy. No, I don't really want to do that. So why? Why am I going to grind out another 10-week camp and go out and fight for another paycheck? Is it just that, just to get a paycheck? No, I've got all this other stuff I can do. So the rational part of me is like, yeah, it's time to hang it up. You're 47, going to be 48 in two months. It's time, it's time to hang it up and, and find something else to do. And thankfully, I had all those other things lined up and, and up and running. And, and so there was no real downtime where I floundered and wondered, wow, who the hell am I now? And all that. I could focus on that. And all that stuff is competitive and, and you know, keeps me driven and going. So that void was filled very, very, very quickly. In fact, it was already in place. A lot of guys don't have that luxury. They don't think about it that way. They don't forward think enough to think about, well, okay, great. I want to stop doing this, but what am I going to do next? Who am I now? Kind of a deal. And uh, so I feel very fortunate. When I left the service, I had college staring me in the face. I got a scholarship to drive to Oklahoma State and get my degree and win a national championship. You know, that was a big transition and a big decision for me. I had a wife and two kids at that time. So, you know, leaving the security of the military and going to school was a big deal. And the same thing, retiring from fighting after 14 years, you know, that's how I was making my living. So it was a bit scary, but I think at some point you have to be rational and come, come to terms with where you're at and what's really going on in your life. You kind of... We have the same kind of answer as far as you go from being the best. You know, I mean, you guys proved in your, proved yourself so many times. Is it hard to to accept going from Wrigley Field and fifty thousand people to a theater with fifteen hundred, even though they're your best friends? I get that, but how hard is that on your brain, Lavox, of being like, man, just five years ago I was doing this shit, and now I'm doing this? Is it is it hard to transition? Well, uh, you kind of already know, you know, if, even if you get the chance to get, keep on that climb, you know, it's, it's first, you just want to single out, you know, and then it's like, well, you hope, hopefully you get a gold record or hopefully, hopefully you have a number one, hopefully you have a, you know, so if, it, if, when you start climbing, you know, the climb is so fast, thank goodness that for me, it was a long time, you know, that we just kept climbing, you know, that there's. A soft landing, is what they call it. You know, you know, there's going to be a soft landing. So, you're there's you're going to come down. You're not going to stay on top like that forever. That's such a a fluke, you know. So, it's a uh, 
yeah, with you know, with with the way that that Rascal Flatts ended with Joe Don and that kind of stuff was it was different. It was difficult because we didn't see it coming, you know. So a little heads up would have been nice on that end. But at that point, you just got to play the cards you're dealt, you know. And uh, I don't know. I think when you when you've done everything so big at the highest level for so long that you, you it's almost you kind of look forward to going back to doing fifteen hundred seat theaters or that kind of stuff. That's where we all started, you know. So it's nice to be able to get back there and go. Gosh, it's just nice to take a breath. We're not running twenty three semis and fifteen buses and the overheads, you know, at through the roof every year. So it's it's just so it, it's actually been nice. So you guys really were running twenty three semis and fifteen buses at mm-hmm. one point in Garrasco Flats. Mm-hmm. Holy, Holy shit! Wow. Yeah. What a business. Yeah. Selling merch like it's going out of style. I wear your shirts all the time. You do? Yeah. I wear free- the thongs I sent. I think, yeah, I I think, I think he sleeps in them, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Send for night shirts. Yeah. Hendo, do you? Do you? Do you? Dead building onesies. Ooh, I like that idea. Do you have any? Would you ever fight again for the right amount of money right now? Could somebody get you off the couch? Well, I, I think. The last time we, we did a podcast, I think I said, yeah, I probably would. But, I mean, the older I get, the more money it'll probably take to get me off the couch. But, I mean, I still feel like when I, when I unlike Randy, where my la- his last camp, he was feeling it, I felt fine injury-wise even when I finished. My only thing was I was just kind of just t- too tired to do other things than training camp. I would come home from practice, I'd go lay on the couch, and I'd sit there and not do a goddamn thing until it was re- I had to go to practice again and or get up and eat, go get make a plate because I didn't make dinner because I was too tired. So I just was doing less and less in the family atmosphere my i wasn't doing stuff with my kids as much and i just was and this is during only during training camp but you know that's two to three months at a time where i you know i slowly get more and more tired during that training camp and then you know but my body felt fine when i was down i mean i in that regard if i would have been recovering a little bit better during every day then i would have probably done it for a little longer my mic hand still gets a little tender. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I, 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 so, you sure, you uh, sure that's what that's from? Some well, I, <laughs> to, to, to answer your question on social media, right? <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to answer your question, yeah, I could get uh, get. You would. I can. I can get off the couch now. It would take a lot of money for me to get off the. Yeah, I, I'm not. You know, I'm not sitting on the couch, obviously, but uh, to to throw my hat back in the ring, it would take a lot of money. It's, the risk is too great yeah. in my mind at this point i'm 59 years old why why i'm i'm successful in the other things i picked up and the other things i'm doing i'm having a great time acting i'm enjoying the pfl and commentating for them all the appearances hang you know I'm, uh, sometimes i sit at fights and i shake my head i'm like man i i kind of can't believe i used to do this it's it's a bit yeah, crazy honestly but uh I don't know, you know, it, it's a hard thing to let go of on one hand, but I'm glad I went on on my own terms. I made the decision. I didn't have some promoter, or some doctor telling me I shouldn't do it anymore. And 
No, I agree uh, with that. I mean, that's I did the same thing. Yeah, you went I, on I your made own the terms. choice. Well, and you got your legacy will live forever. I mean, there was nothing more. As will yours, well, and and everybody's doesn't matter solo or or Rascal Flats. Everybody's going to recognize that voice, Gary. I mean, well, and I guarantee you that new single that just came out is is like, oh yeah, I know that. I know that voice. Speaking of new singles, Gary, what'd you think of the one that Randy just played for you? The Dude, hero. It's, uh, it's 22. It, yeah. If there weren't 15 dudes in here, I'd have cried. That was good. I was, yeah. Was, uh, uh, yeah. Dare Worley cut it. It's a, uh, he can't sing at all. Can he? Good. Dara? God, he's no. good. Thank God for auto tune. <laughs> <laughs> girl, you know, which girl, you know, which girl. <laughs> Whirly Vanilli. Girl <laughs> Whirly Vanilli. <laughs> oh my God. See, that's the thing about Lavox. It's literally like that's off the cuff humor right there. That thing's freaking hilarious. Man. The first podcast I did with you, I don't know if you remember, you were in the Freedom Farms clubhouse up there in Tennessee, which is an unbelievable clubhouse. And you, he was impersonating. Like you can do some... He could have a variety show that would kill it. I really, we are going to do this deal. You guys, Randy and Hendo, tell me about this idea. Hunters with a cooking show. And we have a hunter here and we have a cooker here, a chef and a caterer. Me and Gary Lavox, Gary Lavox and I were going to do a show called Poached. Okay. <laughs> Today we're having Poached Duck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love the double entendre to that. Yes. Isn't that awesome? You'd have you should game all over your ass. Yes. What? Wouldn't it be awesome? <laughs> Every recipe is poached halibut. Po- all of it, yeah. No, no licenses involved. No. No limits. Yeah, that was a rash. You'll both be like, man versus food. Like we gotta stop this. We're gonna die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, isn't that a great concept? Poached everything. I like that. That's pretty yeah. funny. Tonight we're having poached. Yeah, I pitched a show. We, we wrote up a, a show and and we wanted. It was called My First Kill. You take a greenhorn that's never hunted a day in their life. Let them pick the animal they want to hunt. Pick the weapon they want to hunt with. Teach them how to do that and take them out on their hunt. And hopefully they make the shot. And then they have to process that. To a meal from literally from after tracking the, that animal the to heart. putting it on the table so somebody Raw. can eat it. And it was called My First Kill. That's so awesome. No surprise. Nobody bought it. <laughs> they but, should. But it was the day before idea. yesterday, we went out. I like had, poached better. I poached be unreal. But you, that day before yesterday, Randy, we went out. We had, we had a great duck hunt, came home, skinned them. Gary and I went and cleaned them. Mm-hmm. And then we freaking dry rubbed them, put them on the grill, smoked them, took them off, and we made that Asian dish I made. Was oh, it good? It was unbelievable. We ate mallard yeah. duck like in two hours after we killed it. It was phenomenal. That's a great skin them, huh? Is that, is that Just easier than out. plucking them? Well, pluck, I mean, you could, there's different recipes. I love pluck. Like if I'm killing speckle belly geese in California or a really good corn-fed mallard, I keep the skin on and I do I do that crispy skin and the fat and the, fat and the yeah. flavor. And I mean, I take a lot of my skin and fat and I'll render it and then I'll use that duck fat throughout the entire year. Just freeze it and keep it, you know, keep it for a ton of different recipes, whether it's Brussels sprouts or whatever. If you, you have know. not had duck fat Goose fat, you mm-hmm. were missing out. Oh, dude, you take a tortilla so and put it in duck oh, fat. Oh, yeah. You can't make a better taco. That sounds probably giving some of you the willies, but I'm telling you what, there's mm-hmm. nothing better. It gives you a willy? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> gives it a different kind of willy. Yes. Well, Charlie, you could, you're, you're such an amazing daggone cook. It's, it doesn't matter. If it was armadillo, you'd find a way to make it 
My dad, always, my dad always, my dad just was. Just let me know though if you do cook once. I'm not going to get. <laughs> my dad I'm was. A, my dad was a, a MacGyver cook. You know, if we had leftover lasagna and some, you know, this and that, people would tease me at school the next day because I'd have spaghetti in between two pieces of 99 cent loaf wheat bread. Yeah. And they'd be like, "What in the?" F-? And then after they taste it, they'd be like, they'd be begging me to trade them my sandwich for their hot meal, their hot lunch the next day, right? Mm-hmm. So my dad always taught me be a MacGyver cook. You might have leftovers. Well, here's how you can do this. And if you have this, you can do this. So I use the art of visualization, Ted Williams. I'm a baseball guy. So Ted Williams wrote the the book, The Science of Hitting. And chapter four is the art of visualization. You know, like you'd be able to visualize your success or whatever. So like when I'm hunting the night before the hunt, I'm visualizing the setup, the decoys, the wind, the barometric pressure, all that. And then once the dog brings the first duck back, I'm automatically thinking, Man, I got an idea for this. We can do this. And then I'm texting Rob Roberts. Hey, I need white rice. I need this, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm trying to put together this meal because I'm visualizing it right then and there. And I think that, you know, that I don't know if it's a talent, but it's just like one of those things where I process it and then I go and I apply it and then everybody enjoys it because I'll be damned. I understand why you're successful. That visualization is very, very powerful. It's something we learn to do through through fighting, through athletics, visualizing success. Yeah. Seeing, I saw that fight a yeah. hundred times. Wow. Before I ever walked up those four steps on fighting, I saw that fight happen every which way with that one common denominator. I got my hand raised at the end of it. That visualization is ridiculously powerful. It's very powerful. Your body will have a physical response to those pictures that you put in your head. We have to recognize that we control that crazy roommate. He does not control us. We call those mental skills. You got to practice those skills like any other physical skill if you want to get good at them. You have to. And if you want to be consistently good at something, you have to be able to overcome and I guess accept failure and, and be good at failure because a lot of people, you know, even when you're, you're talking about something as simple as cooking, I don't want to fail at it. Like when I tasted their brisket last night, I was taking notes like I'm never going to. I'm never going to stop doing brisket until I get it to be that good. Mm. Granted, they had a good piece of meat, but it was still really, really good brisket. And my brisket is not anywhere near that. So I'm like visualizing now, how can I become a better slow cook brisket barbecue, traditional barbecue guy, whether it's fat down or fat up, Texas style, first Kansas City or Memphis or North Carolina style. I want to be a better griller, a better barbecuer. Yeah. Right. So when I'm around people, you know, I'm always trying to internalize what they're doing and then being able to take that and apply it to what I'm doing of like, man, those shrimp and grits were tasty. Right. Like I want to be able to make a dish like that. that's tasty and that you have all that, that passion in, but you use that visualization process of, well, I might not get it on the first time. If I fail, I'm still going to be able to try it again until I get it right. And that's a big part of cooking or hunting or songwriting or singing or fighting or whatever it is. That's the thing about life is that nothing is going to come until you're able to accept failure and learn how to fail because it's hard. But you need to accept it, but it's part of life. You're going to fail and and, and embrace it for sure. I'm not going to accept the loss. Yeah, I lost. I didn't on the scorecard. I didn't come out ahead. There's my opportunity to go back to the drawing board, study those tapes, figure out what I did wrong, how I can go back and do it better. I have to embrace those failures. Some of my proudest fights are the ones I lost. The Noguera fight in Oregon, in my hometown. I lost that fight, knockdown, dragout fight, but I did every single thing I trained, and there was a lot of guys that would have been done a lot earlier in that fight. I made it to the end. 
It didn't go my way, but I did everything I trained to do and survive some situations that a lot of guys wouldn't have survived because I visualized that. I saw that I'm not scared of losing. 19 and 11, that's my fight record. I lost plenty of times. My wrestling record, I mean, some of the biggest matches you can be in, two times in the NCAA finals, lost both those matches. Four times in the Olympic trials. Two of those times in the final match to make the Olympic team, lost those matches. But they prepared me. They got me mentally ready to go be in the volatile sport that mixed martial arts is. Six world championships. Everybody talks about that. So you didn't accept that. That means I lost it five times. And the truth is I lost it all six. But you didn't accept Championship spirit is not about winning all the time. It's about how you deal with the adversity of losing. The the adversity of Mm -hmm. dealing with things that didn't go your way. That's championship spirit in my mind. Mm -hmm. Championship spirit. So you don't accept failure? No, I'm not going to accept it. I'm going to figure out what I did wrong and come back and do it better. All right, okay, I get it. Yeah, I think, I guess if if you're talking about the word acceptance, I guess you really don't accept failure. Like, you just use it to- Do you like that that meal came out shitty? Hell no, you don't. You're not going to accept that. You realize that you made some mistakes and there are some things you could have done better there. I I think it's a semantic thing where he's he's, he's accepting the fact that yeah, on paper he lost, but he's not going to accept the fact that he's not going to improve to not to that's not lose that's again. An opportunity to learn, to figure out, to make the adjustments. Somebody's telling me I need to make some adjustments. That's why I didn't come out on top in that in that right. engagement. Somebody's telling you in that meal that you need to make some adjustments. It didn't come out right. right. You got to go back and ferret out what what did I do wrong? What what could I do to make it taste better? To make it be how I envisioned it in my mind got to keep getting back up yeah there it is well and you got to keep having that desire to improve no matter how good you are somebody's going to knock you down and hopefully you learn what you what you should improve on at that point and so don't be afraid of it 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 happens it's gonna happen almost everybody that i've known in an athletic scenario that they get knocked down, even if it's just once and they still win, but you, you, you go against some adversity and shit that doesn't go your way and yeah. you got to learn from it and getting back, get, get the idea of I'm going to, I do need to get better at this and that. So it, it teaches you really where you should really improve on. Try to What's the worst on. feeling when you do a fight camp for three months and you come out and get destroyed, knocked out in the first round, taken down a hundred times. Like, how do you deal with that when you, you, that, that entire 90 days, you're like, I'm going to win this fight. I'm going to win this fight. And I'm not talking about you two personally, but I'm sure you face this and experience this, but you might get knocked out in the first round. You might get choked out. You might get tapped out, whatever. How does that make a fighter feel when it goes? Is it, is it harder to come back from that type of thing than a five round decision if you get in there and all of a sudden you you get away from your game plan and get clipped? In my, in my experience, a knockout creates a little mental hurdle that any fighter is going to have to get over. It's like, there's a fear involved there because it happens so fast. And then the, you lose a little piece of time. And the next second you're back and you're like, what the hell happened? I don't even know. Uh, and that, that, there is a mental hurdle. You see this in fighters. They're a little timid. They're, a little, they, they're not 
They're scared to kind of go into that engagement for fear that that might happen again. And you've got to kind of make friends with them. Now, I don't think, did you ever get knocked out? I don't think you ever got knocked out. Not you out, ever. but I got knocked silly a couple times. Once, I've gotten the, TKO'd and, and yeah, you know. The second and, chuck and what, was a knockout. Uh, yeah. And what you're describing, I don't think I've experienced as far as, because I've never, you know, like when, when, I got stopped by Vitor, no. and I wasn't out, but I was for sure silly. Flash. And, and uh, you know, of course, I felt that I would have liked a, a few more seconds to mm -hmm. recover. The ref didn't give it to me. So, I mean, I was more pissed off yeah. than than afraid yeah. of that happening again. Okay, okay. Right. Yeah, and so I've never been to where I was scared to get knocked out. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I can't think of any time I've been afraid of that at all in any fight. I had already made friends. The, the only person that ever knocked me out was the second Chuck Liddell fight. And I'd already made friends with that going into the first Chuck Liddell fight. This guy has this unique ability to catch you right on the end of that punch and knock guys out. He's done it. Time and time again, he, you know, he knocked me on my ass in in the second, you know, in the second fight, knocked me out. It's the only time I ever got knocked. I've been flashed before. Flashing is a flash is a different thing. You get hit the second your butt hits the canvas, you're wide awake. You you're like you don't lose any time. You were you know it's a split second. That's what we call the flash. You literally got knocked down. It was that split second where you got hit with something you didn't see? It knocks you on your ass. Uh, a knockout is a different deal. That's like you wake up and there's six people standing over you, looking down at you. It's like, what the hell just happened? You know, you don't know what happened. It's a different experience. And I've seen a lot of athletes that have trouble getting over that fear, that little hurdle that that's going to happen again when they go out for the next fight. Well, G GSP trigger. is probably a prime example of that after Matt Sarah yeah, knocked him Matt out. Matt Sarah caught him. Yeah, I, was, that was... Uh, I was at that fight. He, he became... A lot less uh, entertaining, a lot less entertaining, and just a lot more conservative when they fought. We'll be right back with more of this episode with the great Dan Henderson, Randy Couture, Gary Lavox. In the meantime, enjoy these messages from some of our pre presenting sponsors. Okay, I'll just do those commercials here in a minute. That was wild, wasn't it? But that's a prime example, like probably one of the best examples because he has a great example. He seriously changed. Yeah. That was in Canada. That was in his hometown. Montreal? Montreal. I was no. at that fight. Was that, was that, was that his own, he won the belt that night. Did he defend the title? Sarah? Yeah, did he ever he defend lost, it? Lost, I think. Matt Hughes? No, no, Matt, he fought Matt Hughes before that fight, well, I think. I can't remember who he fought next. I think I he fought, right. I, I thought, thought he beat a jiu-jitsu guy might, He might have won one after that and then and then lost it, but I can't remember on his head. Didn't he, did he rematch GSP? And GSP smoked him, right? Maybe he did. I think so, yeah. I think you're right. But GSP was super conservative about it. Yeah, he's wrestling takedowns. And, G, and I mean, Sarah's you know, a hell of he fought Johnny Started. Hendricks, and uh, I mean, I, I thought Johnny him. Hendricks won that fight. And I certainly, did too. If, you, if you look at both of their faces, you would say Johnny. I Hendricks did too, and won I got a fight, but you know, he got the he got the nod on the on the judges' scorecard, and that was a knockdown drag. Up. Oklahoma that was, State, that was Oklahoma. in Vegas, right? Yeah, it was Oklahoma got, State guy. I got a funny ass story Hendricks about was that a, night. Uh, Three-time national champ, Rookie State. 
Never did he ever really blossom into a great MMA guy? Well, he he, he was he should have been champ that night. He, he, he should have. He was that was a title fight. Didn't go his way, and, and he kind of started the slide. I think after that fight, but I always loved watching him fight. He was explosive. He uh, found out he had power in his hands, just like this guy did, and instead of embracing and using the wrestling which had gotten him into the position that he, he had the left-handed h-bomb he, he kind of started going out and trying to knock everybody out instead of creating a game plan that capitalized on his wrestling and put guys in bad positions um i don't know that's just how i saw it analyzing what he was doing he trained with us at extreme couture for the first couple of years of his career he's a great kid i, I love the kid what's he doing now cowboy uh, i think he's still down in texas Oh, he's in Texas. If I'm not mistaken. But so I haven't seen him in a while. I don't know. So. As a lifelong friend of Henderson, and you're going into this, maybe let's let's just say the press conferences and the fight buildup with Bisbing part one. <laughs> I don't know if Bisbing's probably the most hated person in UFC MMA history. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I don't know. But he, he's actually he's, a great guy. He might be, but he was an asshole. To, like, like he was like but, the original Conor McGregor. But, but look at mouth. the look at the guys Dana White's rewarding the guys that guys. doing this. And stuff, he actually and... did achieve a lot. I mean, he become champion, which well, we could talk about that. You know, in, in the second part with the second fight with Hendo. But as one of Hendo's best friends, Randy, <clears throat> going into that fight and watching all the shit talking Bisbing's doing, Hendo doesn't say a word. But when that punch lands. And then Hendo jumps in the air and lands the second punch, which was that freaking awesome. Shut him up. <laughs> are you? Are you? Uh, are you? It didn't. Are you going nuts? I almost wet myself. Are you going? <laughs> are you going nuts, Randy Couture? Are you going nuts this night when this knockout oh, happens? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you in the arena? I wasn't at the arena for that one. I don't. You're you watching were, on TV. What happened? What, yet, what happens in your house? Were you banned already? <laughs> probably. Probably. What happens when you see the knockout? We'll oh, go. I jumped off the couch. Are you kidding me? I was dropping f bombs and screaming at the top of my lungs. It was. Uh, it was amazing. So was I. <laughs> <laughs> what were your feelings on the second fight in in England? Home cooking crowd judges. I was calculating, and and in my mind, I felt like. Dan had to have a very strong fifth round. I felt like it was pretty even going into that last round, and that last round was going to determine the fight. And it just, I felt like the best that Dan could get at that point was a, was probably a draw. Um, even with the first two rounds of the knockdowns? Man. In the, and, in the and, way that Bisbee's face yeah, looked? I, look, I thought it was over, honestly. I, th I thought he'd finished it. But again, I, I have to... <clears throat> keep my personal feelings out of it and kind of try to literally figure out what, how they're scoring this and what they're seeing. And, and I felt like it really boiled down to the last round and, and who won that last round. Gary, is it hard for you to accept sitting with them at this table and looking at them? Like they don't look like that much of a badass. Like you, you don't look at these guys and go, I'm scared of them. Like I'm, I'm not like, I look at Randy, like I'll, jump across the table and I could take him like, is it very unassuming to you as it is to me? Like how, like they don't look like anybody that could just whip your ass, but they would well, destroy us. I've been at UFC until you look at their ears. Okay. All right. No, but uh, you know, I've been at UFC fans since 
you know, the UFC one or two or, you know what I mean? So like 93, it's different from, cause I've, I, I love the sport, you know, and I'm such a fan of, of, of MMA and then of Hendo and Randy and, you know, and everybody coming up. So it was different, you know, for me, but, um, I don't know. It's just, you know, some of the baddest cats in the world aren't, aren't big and huge and all that. They're just, skills man are ridiculous i mean it's a different different deal were you intimidated at all by brock lesnar when you actually got in the octagon with him and saw no i was excited about that fight and i know i'm a weirdo but yeah he's a huge guy and he's very very athletic and and i thought this is a guy i can beat i know i can beat this guy and i think i i believe honestly when i picked him up in that high single at the in the first round if he hadn't grabbed the fence and went down it might have been a different night that night, but I was on my way, I believe, to, to beating him. He caught me with a great punch, right hand, right behind the ear, you know, flashed me, knocked me down. Second I hit hit the ground, I knew exactly where it was at, but then this 290-pound monster. monster comes down on top of you and starts hammer fisting, and there was just nowhere mm-hmm. to get out, and, and John stopped the fight. So, you know, a lot of questions there, but I've never been one of those guys with regrets. I'm like, eh, there's a single fight I want to do over a single guy out there, with the exception of Fedor. And Danny kind of took care of that for me. Uh, <laughs> that was the one fight I wanted. You know, there was a time where he was, was ranked say, number one. I thought, you made me think you fought him, but you didn't. You never fought him. I never him. fought yeah. him. I wanted to fight him. I actually left the UFC and resigned my title to pursue the fight with him because in most rankings at that time, he was the number one fighter in the world at heavyweight and I was the number two fighter in the world. So who else do I want to fight? I want to fight that guy. At one time he was considered the greatest for, I mean, in a lot of critics, I'd say we talk about Fedor, Fedor, Fedor. Did he fight too long? Bader beat him. Hendo beats him. He, he, he suffered a few losses later on in his career. Did he ruin his legacy as one of the greatest by going too I long? I don't think he ruined his legacy. Anybody that's a fan of the sport's going to go back and look at all those amazing fights he had in pride. All the people he beat, some of the best in the world at that time. Uh, did he possibly stay too long? That's an honest question, and I think that's that's a legitimate question. He's the only one that can really answer that, and I think the statistics speak for themselves. He he, he wasn't the same Fedor in those later fights, and I think it started with you when you hit him from under his armpit and, and knocked him flat. I think everybody's going, what the hell? And I think everybody respects the power that you bring to every single that's fight. Fact, yeah. But I think I felt like that was... That was the crest. The start. I'm not sure yeah. how much he respected that before the first 20 seconds. Yeah. I hit him. He just came after me right when it started. And, mm-hmm. and then I remember ducking and bobbing and weaving and I come up and hit him with a big left hook. And he just went, you know, and then backed up like, oh, okay. Shit. Demonstrate that. Demonstrate <laughs> I'm in a real fight here. Demonstrate he that. Has wicked, he has a wicked right hand. This, I mean, little, this little guy can hit too, hit hard too. So yeah. I think that kind of got him to where, okay. And then, yeah, I mean, that didn't stop him from coming forward in the rest of the mm-hmm. round. But you were the first guy to really Rock Fedor. show a potential kink in his armor or, or, <laughs> or, beat him uh 
and didn't just beat him and knocked his ass out. Do you put Dan Henderson in, in the conversation as one of the top 20? Well, I'm a little biased, but absolutely. Like, like how, where do you rank Dan First Henderson? Of all, longevity of his career, two-time Olympian, a guy that transitioned yeah. to MMA and beat some of the best fights, had some of the best fights in our sport through his reign as a competitor. Absolutely, he's in that conversation. And if he's not, you haven't been watching this sport. Do you put Randy in that conversation? Well, absolutely. I mean, some of the great fights, when a lot of people, a lot of times, didn't give him a chance to, or think that he'd win. He'd typically prove him wrong. And that's why he had so many wins and title defenses. I mean, you look at the heavyweight division and it's, it's not, it's pretty rare that you have more than two or three title defenses. And then yeah. it switches hands because those guys hit hard, you know, and that, that power changes things. Randy was probably one of the more consistent guys during that time period. Well, and you guys, both of you guys were people that, I mean, the fans just loved and they, they couldn't wait to watch you fight because you were, everybody wanted you guys to win. You just had that. They rooted for him. Yeah. I mean, what Danny Danny and, and I try to do, and this is, I think, indigenous to our wrestling background is we just kept it simple. We were just ourselves. We are, we didn't create any personas. We didn't do anything flashy we didn't talk smack we didn't do any of that stuff we just went out and did our job and let the fighting in the ring do the talking for us and if you had your i think that's why the fans liked us is because we weren't it wasn't like it things. was just it was there it was a, it's a different vibe when you guys would come out of that tunnel you know if you had your choice granny couture who would you fight that you never got to fight fedor yeah. who else besides fedor is john jones in the conversation mm. I mean, I saw John's very clearly. I, I watched him develop. He looked like a baby giraffe in those first couple fights, uh, you know, trying to find his feet. And, and, and then he really evolved very, very quickly. Um, I was offered that fight, to be honest. Like, nah, this stage in my career, I think that's a bad idea. For because? He was coming into his own and, and literally dominating the shit out of everybody he had just beat the hell out of brandon barra who's somebody i had some trouble with in manchester fighting i beat him but it was a well, tough fight your style of fighting yeah, and this was uh, one of his strengths I think anytime too. i faced another wrestler i knew that was going going to negate some of the advantage i had against some of these other martial artists that came from other backgrounds right and john was coming into or at the peak of his game at that time when they offered me that fight and I know them too. They they know what the hell they're looking at. They would have loved to see me get my ass kicked. Who would you want? Well, John was the one fight that you would have wanted to fight John Jones. Well, I was you scheduled got, to fight. You got hurt, and then I got hurt two three weeks out. But I was so ready to, and and I knew I would have just destroyed him. I mean, I, that's how confident I was in myself and and my game plan. And I'm not saying he's obviously done a lot of great things and, and very good at certain things, but I felt like with the game plan, I would have just been right on point with John Jones, just being patient, crowding him, staying in his face and just 
you know, put him to sleep. Do you think it would have been awesome after Drop the H bomb on Do you think after Dan Henderson drops the H bomb on Michael Bisping in the first fight and just rocks his world? Do you think it would have been awesome to have Gary Lavox singing What Hurts the Most on the walkout back well, to the locker room? I, yeah. I, I mean I'd have done it. I'd have done it. I'd have done it. What hurts, what hurts the most? What are they? You jar your nose. No, yeah. <laughs> Somebody help old Bisping up. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that would have been great. Because you know, like who is it that had? Was it you that had Aaron Lewis sing you in? Who had Aaron Lewis uh, sing you in? I think it might have been. Uh, I don't know. Was it Mendez? I feel like uh, Johnny Hendricks might have had no. somebody live singing. Who sang? Didn't Aaron Lewis sing you walking into the the no. octagon? No, I always walked into Toby. Who walked? Aaron Lewis sang for somebody live. He was in the stadium singing. Was it Aaron Lewis? I remember that. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was either Johnny Hendricks no. or um No, because it was, it was, it was way after uh, Fact Checker. Wasn't Hughes. What what did you walk in? Hughes, Hughes, used to come, Hughes, Hughes used to come out the country boy couldn't survive. Yeah, that What's was you Hank. Walk in, uh, I forget. It, I changed it up. Early in I came out to Moby Body Rock. Yeah. And and then added the national anthem played by Jimi Hendrix on the on his guitar at mm -hmm. the end of that. Oh yeah. And then I switched and started doing songs, whatever, wherever I was fighting. So mm, like when I fought in, in Manchester, I, I picked a Zeppelin song. Cashmere. Oh, Cashmere. Uh, when I fought in Canada, you know, Red Rider, Lunatic Fringe, tried to pick a song. That That's was... what I, I used to walk out to when I didn't give a shit what I walked out to. Yeah. And, they asked me what I walk wanted to walk out to, and and or Dana did, and I said I don't I don't give a shit, just whatever. And yeah. Dana picked Lunatic Friends, yeah. so I walked out to that for for a while. Yeah, I, I walked out to that in Canada Before for my last me, fight. Yeah. That, you know, they're a Canadian band. That was a huge song. Vision Quest, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a wrestling movie, and yeah, so that that was the one I wanted to walk out to. So yeah. it kind of tried to started to be a little more cognitive about that and pick songs for what country am i fighting in what you know what's going to be a hit with the crowd yeah. and that kind of thing just get that momentum going walking out that tunnel i think at one point in my life i really didn't pay attention to much of anything other than competing yeah. and getting better and yeah you know i didn't listen to much music and back in the saddle for tim sylvia mm. aerosmith yeah you know, i've been retired for 13 months and back in the saddle I like that. Coming to whip that ass, Tim Sylvia. Mm -hmm. By the way, I hope Toby Keith is feeling better. Getting healthy. I think he is. Always thinking about that. You're friends with Toby Keith. Mm -hmm. Songwriting Hall of Fame. Yeah. Put put Ver us on our, uh, that was our first tour. Who opened for Toby Keith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's I'll, cool. I hope he's, he's doing well too. I hope he's Obviously, doing well too. We he's tough. Bobby who wrote a bunch of his hits and Bobby Pinson. Yeah. yeah. Great songwriter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not yeah, I think Toby's doing better according to what he says. But Made in America. It sounds like there's a possibility that we might be hearing him live again. His older stuff is some of my favorite stuff. Oh God, how do you like me now? Yeah. Should have been a cowboy. Yeah. Well it's funny because those are all the songs that nobody nobody would sign him with. 
you know? Yeah. And then they end up becoming. I wish I knew now what I, I wish I didn't know now what I, I don't remember yeah. this song. Yeah. God, that song is so good about going by his old house. Gary, did you ever in your career forget words to a song on stage and have to be like, oh shit, and like have to oh, regroup? I still do. Like we do every time we get up to make, you know, to make us sing and yeah. karaoke or yeah. whatever. Absolutely, I still do. Do you really? Absolutely. Do you ever let the fans know? Oops, every time. Up. Yeah. No, I just let them know. Some people try to. Because uh, I'll just sit there and I'll be like, just where am I at? I've lost it and I'll see somebody's lyrics. Yeah, and I'll sing it. I'm looking at them, I'm going, oh, and they're singing the whole thing out here. Oh, I got you. Yes. Thank you. I'm right back on track. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. The music industry's changed, though, since you started. Oh, huge. It's Big changed. Time. I mean, yeah. I know streaming's cool and you get your music out there, but it just seems like there's a, I don't know, like, here, here's the deal about, and you, you've written songs too, Randy, but. Is it okay to make it on TikTok? I mean, before TikTok, Carrie Underwood wins American Idol and she's got a career. Kelly Clarkson wins American Idol. She's got a career. Maybe she didn't win it, but she was in there. Um, is it okay if you don't make your way up in the honky tonks and do it like Willie and Waylon and Rascal Flats did? Is it okay to not be Travis Tritt and have to to play those 18 people bowling alleys? Is It, it, it would sure help their, their live show if they'd have done it. If they'd have done that. Cause you don't know. I mean, you you, you got to figure out what works for crowds and what doesn't, and that's stage presence. Give you an and, appreciation for yeah. how far you've come if that's where you started. Yeah, it's such a different thing now. It's changed the movie industry too, the digital platforms. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm seeing in music, and you're an expert, but nobody's doing albums anymore. They're just yeah. releasing singles oh, and putting them out on the digital platforms, and yeah. hoping they get a huge following that way. I mean, I get to sing a little bit with Kane Brown at Losers and look how far he's come. And that started with a digital platform. And mm -hmm. then that's exactly where he got noticed. It wasn't a record deal. Yeah. It was because he had a huge digital following. And I thought and, he came from one of the, uh, the voice or, uh, no, Facebook. I don't no. think so. I mean, look at, look at Justin Bieber. You know, that was all social media when Scooter Braun found him as a young kid, you know? Well, and then him and I did that duet. Uh, Regardless, they have together, to... you know, and it was it was the haircut that that shocked the world. I took that picture because we were shooting the video that day for that song. But that should be me holding on. So he had his hair in there, so he was going to get his hair cut, and he was like, "Man, I should I should get my hair cut." He goes, "Should I get?" It? I said, "Well, you should spike it up. That's what you should do." And he was like, no, I just get, get it. So all of his stylists and stuff were in there. So I just grabbed Justin's hair like that. And I went like this, like I was going to cut it. And girls from all over the world going, listen, I will never go to Rascal Flat Show again. I cannot believe that you cut his hair. <laughs> I didn't cut it. It seems a joke, Pete. I mean, seriously, there was 11-year-olds that wanted to kill me. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's <laughs> it. That is Isn't that weird though to hear that like you you've done duets with Jamie Foxx, Justin Bieber. I mean, there's tons of them that you've done. Reba, uh, Lionel Richie. How was Reba? Lionel Richie. She's awesome. She's an Okie, right? Yeah, she's an yeah. Okie. Yep. She's I've always the best. been a big fan of hers. I've never met her. I always knew she was an Okie, and obviously I have roots here. I went to school here in yeah. Oklahoma, and I thought she was from Texas. She's from Oklahoma, huh? She's a cattle girl from Oklahoma. Oh, that's cool. She was discovered in Texas at the Houston Rodeo. Is that right? Is she sang the national anthem? 
and they and they found her singing the national anthem somewhere. Maybe I, I don't get know. Fact checked on that. Maybe. I'm well, wrong. and, and that's back to what you were just saying about social media. There's so many people out there back then that had talent that just had no means to get anybody to notice. Yeah. And now anybody can take I a, take that a selfie video yeah. and post it. You know, and obviously it starts with talent and then improving that talent. Yeah. But it gives them a platform to say, you know, do you like this? Do yeah. you like that? It's and true. And it's funny. Get noticed. Because, you know, it used to be where, you, like, random, like, you could get, you could work three or four singles a year. Now you can work one song. If you're going to take it to radio, you can work one song for one whole year. And the research was, you'd get a random call. You'd be sitting at the house and somebody would call and you'd go, Hello. It's a hey, this is someone's song. Do you have thirty seconds to listen to a song and tell me yes or no? And somebody'd go, "Yeah, sure." They'd play it and they'd go, "Nah," or they'd go, "Yeah." And that was the research. Wow. You know, so now what's happening is actually like big TikTok influencers and that kind of stuff. Likes, yeah, big stuff. Like if there's somebody that's got four or five million followers, well. You pay them to play their your music labels will while they do videos. Yeah, and that's the, the you test it that way. I got a young kid I've been working with for a while now. That's just a great kid, and he's got an authentic voice, uh, country voice, uh, Caleb King, and he's a great job. Writes a lot of his own stuff. I just think he's a very talented kid. At a uh, one of my charity gigs down in Georgia at Fort Benning and um, American Young, John stone and and christy o were playing at that event and they had been to a songwriters conference down there with a bunch of military folks and caleb's not a military guy but he came to the songwriters conference and they wrote a song together and so john and christy are like hey is it okay if we bring this kid up to sing the song we wrote together i'm like y'all are doing this for free at my charity gig you can run this stage naked if that's what you want to do yeah. i don't care so they brought Caleb up and and he sang this song that they wrote and I was like man that was amazing that was really good so I've been kind of trying to help this kid get over the hump for the last gosh what's that been six or eight years and uh, he just put out a new album cutting onions and you know again on the digital mm -hmm. all that because he tried he was trying to do it the traditional way and was was getting nowhere right. yeah cutting onions do you, do you need uh, absolutely. I'm doing ice in that Sinatra. Absolutely. Jacques Daniels, this episode is brought to you by Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. Lynchburg, Tennessee is where every single drop of Jack Daniels is made. Think about that, folks. It's sold in 167 countries around the world. And every single drop is made in Lynchburg, Tennessee. And it that needs to bring mind. back the Angelo Lucchese Jack Daniels. That is the best Jack Daniels, the most smoothest. The first Jack salesman Daniels. in the history of Jack exactly. Daniels who discovered and Frank Sinatra. For his 90th birthday, they brought that back in a limited run, and I got the last case of it. Oh, I want look, more. Do you, you I got two have, bottles left. I'll God buy one it. from you. Hmm. Angelo, his main job was to make sure Frank Sinatra had plenty of Jack Daniels on his jet in the green room. The Sinatra's the closest to the yeah. Angelo because it comes from a toasted barrel. Yeah, they toast the barrel. Do you guys want to talk about when I beat when I beat Khabib or no? We're just gonna skip over the time when I beat him. 
You beat who? I don't Bieber? like how you said that. You said you just beat the Beeb. Yeah, I was a believer. <laughs> a believer. Real quick. Yeah. Frank Sinatra. Yeah, I'm glad Jack, you qualified that statement. <laughs> Thanks. Jack yeah. Daniels never got Jack Daniels got really famous when Frank Sinatra got on stage in Vegas and said, This here, folks, is the nectar of the gods. Mm. And that's when Jack Daniels went through the roof and Angelo. Wow. They couldn't keep up with production. Their allocations got so big that they couldn't keep up. And that's that's when old number seven just went went through the roof. Anyway, there's some history. But that's okay, tell us about beating the wow. beam. Well, you know. That was a pretty good year, huh, Gary? Pretty good year. Uh yeah, it was a pretty good year. What what do you what what, oh, what? I beat, well I beat Conor McGregor first. I don't know, it's weird, but <laughs> so yeah. Were and you then, guys yeah. having a proper twelve drinking competition? Uh, or proper twelve. <laughs> <laughs> proper twelve. <laughs> yeah. So what what did a, you beat the Beeb at? No, I'm just I was kidding. I was talking about Khabib. <laughs> Come on, guys. That's why I retired. Okay. I beat Khabib. Yeah. I beat Khabib. What do you think about him? He's, I mean, he's obviously just a stud, but when he just, it's just so boring watching him just hang on your side. You know what I mean? I mean, I get it for positioning and all that stuff. Yeah, but. I, he could be more exciting, absolutely. But, yeah, but, but that he, was, he gets the job done. He does, yeah. That's the he thing. He gets the job done, and, and you know, it, it'll, it will would take a certain type of wrestler to probably beat him. Yeah. What did you think about the male? I think it would take a Greco-Roman wrestler to tie him up. I know two of them. And and he's counter a, his takedown attempts and and make him fight from the clinch and right. beat him up. But doesn't matter now; he's retired. Yeah. So are we? Will he ever come back? Seems like I, he's I'm sure through. he gets offers every week to come back because he's still a young man. He honestly, what he wasn't in there that long. I think his, his father passing. Yeah, was a big deal for him, and understandably so. That guy's got a huge legacy. The amount of Dagestanis that are coming out and infiltrating every fight organization across the board. I think we have six or seven in the PFL. They're in the UFC. They're in Bellator. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Combative sports is certainly wrestling is the root of that for them, but that's their ticket out and their opportunity to plant a flag in the world and and go somewhere and and make a life yeah exactly um so i enjoy watching them every single one of them i've met has been very very humble very appreciative of the opportunity that's presented them and and they're taking advantage of that opportunity and fuck excuse my french it don't matter uh what you know what as a coach as a fan what else can you ask from an athlete I mean, they did. They do a great job. It's in their culture. Do you, as a f- fight fan, Gary Lavox, do you appreciate Conor McGregor? Do you get the pay per view as soon as you find out he's fighting because you know that he's a theatrical person? Do you? I, I do anyway. All of them anyway. I mean, it doesn't matter if the Conor's fight or not. I've met Conor a few times, and uh, and he was super nice and. I mean, he, he was great, you know. 
I think uh, I keep thinking about that night that him and Khabib, like that was personal. That, that made, oh yeah. Well, Khabib I, lost his stuff. Right and I'm there. just was, gonna give my opinion, but I feel like Connor crossed the line when you start attacking somebody's family and somebody's religion and where they come from, which Connor did leading up to that fight, and. He did the same thing to Poirier, Poirier, didn't he? He did, and that was his M.O., and that was what he was rewarded for. But I disagreed with Khabib's response to that. This was your moment. You literally just beat the hell out of him. Why would you give him any satisfaction or take away from that by jumping the fence and going after one of his guys, no matter how much shit he talked? You just answer all the questions right mm. there in the cage. So I, I didn't agree with how Khabib dealt with that. If you were going to be offended and, and react, he should have done it on the stage at the weigh-ins or when he was saying those things, not after you just beat the piss out of him in the fight. That took away from his victory, in my opinion. Right. But, you know, I thought Connor <laughs> crossed the line. Throwing a hand truck through the bus crossing mm -hmm. the line but brings him back punching an old man in the bar smacking up smacking up some gals i mean we've all heard the stories and again we were talking about this earlier the goat you know mm -hmm. first of all it's a very subjective thing different weight classes different guys with different skill sets different sizes you can't make them fight each other because it's not possible so I'm, how do you really come mm. up with a goat well, it's a lot more than just the stuff you do inside the cage. Right. Even and without all those antics, I wouldn't put him in that category. No. And yeah, he won. He literally held two titles at the same time in two different weight classes. One of the few to do that. Um, I liked it. But how many goats has he beat? That's what I'd like to know. See. You know, I, I, in Nate my Diaz opinion, Chad Mendez laid out the blueprint to beat Conor McGregor in that mm -hmm. fight that he took well, on short notice, notice. After, a week, yeah. after a week's notice. Chad's he showed man. exactly how to beat him, and it took Khabib coming on. Nate Diaz beat him and <clears throat> had the ability on the ground to hold him down and beat him. What Nate lacked was those transition wrestling. skills, that wrestling well, he ability. He couldn't take anybody down. He couldn't take anybody. Exactly. That's a and transition. Connor, Connor learned. Standing striking to the ground is the transition. I think Connor learned and, enough to not get taken exactly. down by at least Nate. Like, the second exactly. <laughs> and there was no way he was stopping Khabib no, from taking no, him down. So now yeah. he needs to, he knew to have been sharpening his defensive skills. Be rational enough in your own skill set to know that yeah, I have the potential to be taken down. Chad Mendez took me down. Nate Diaz took me down. This guy can certainly take me down. I better figure out how to create scrambles and get the hell up off the mat if I'm fighting this guy, and he didn't do that. If Chad Mendez beats him that night, because the first round, they could have called the fight, maybe. I mean, Chad was it beating was close. the pitch. I agree with pound. you. Um, does do we even talk about Conor McGregor anymore right now? If that if Chad Mendez comes I in on the ten bubble days, bubble would have burst that night. If Chad Mendez would have beat him on short notice that night, I think the the, the hype train would have would have gone away pretty quickly. You can't talk that Same kind of smack million, I guess. and then not back it up. You don't back it up. The fans get very. Very distant. Could you imagine Gary Lavox sitting in the ACMs and walk in and be like? Yo, big and rich, what's up, bitch? We're gonna win this award tonight. You ain't got nothing on us. 
Hey, you better got. You better win it, Danny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you imagine if yeah. you better grab Big Kenny. You're gonna need him. You're gonna need him. <laughs> Kenny's such a good dude. I love he's all. So what I'm saying. Go there and go, dude. Please, no. What are you talking about? Gary, when you are in that situation, is there nervosa? Did you give a shit? Did oh, you care when you're in the audience and yeah, you're nominated? Yeah, of course you want to win. Yeah. It's funny, the one year we were up... We were what about the, right when you find out you lose? Well, the camera's right on you. So do, you, you, have, do you have to be the best actor you can be? So Absolutely. The double finger. Especially when it's one that you really want, you know? <laughs> and Because the, 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 the camera's sitting right on you, you know, when they, they'll go and they'll do the nominees, and then they show the video clips. So it's right there. So when you lose, you're just like, you're trying to high-five somebody, man. Yeah. <laughs> Do you practice that beforehand? Get that freaking camera off of me right now. Oh, I know. It'd be great if someone said, fuck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. Yeah, uh, well, it's funny because there's been some people that have been caught off where you, you know, you sit there and they'll lose and they'll go. <laughs> they'll forget. And they'll go, oh. <laughs> No, but I'm gonna just say, well, I know. fuck. Good job, though. Just get out, walk out. What What was the What was the? I guess the biggest honor in your career to 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 be awarded or to be saluted or to be recognized. What was the biggest one so far, bro? I, man, I don't know. There, there's been so many things I could like. You know, our not star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You just you can't dream that stuff, you know, and then. Opening for the Rolling Stones and award wise, you know, I mean, to be in the Guinness Book for the most consecutive vocal group wins, you know, beating Alabama and all of that stuff. And I mean, just, you just, I don't know, you just can't dream that big. And they had retired and we had won again and we gave them, we gave them our vocal group of the year thing, but just to thank them for being such great role models and, you know, just such huge fans. And- One arm on the wheel, mm-hmm. holding my lover with That's the other. <laughs> Sweet, yeah, soft, southern thrill. Worked hard all week. I Got a little alone. <laughs> I, um, yeah. I think it's cool that, I think it's really neat. We're going to end this conversation by, you know, going back to what Couture said about not accepting failure, you know, like if you yeah. do, like if you're got any competitive nature in your psyche at all, you do want to win that award. Sure. That's our instincts, right? Like, I guess it's that predatory instinct that you want to win. Like tonight when I'm laying in that blind, I, I was honest with you guys and transparent after like, I feel pressured. Like, I know you guys aren't going to judge me and you're, you're going to give me some shit, but it's not like you're going to be like building. We're never coming hunting with you again, but you always want to perform. You no. want it to go right. Sure. I was praying, please let one duck come in here. So it could, could, Couture could get a shot after what I put him through last night. He's already driven across Oklahoma twice, yeah. like Lewis and Clark expedition over here because of my GPS failure. But you know, you don't like you put that pressure on yourself. And and I want you guys to talk about this. About one of the things I've learned in my life of trying to become successful is keeping the pressure on me. I always want to keep the pressure on me. I don't accept myself if I don't keep the pressure on me. I'm not critiquing myself. I'm not sitting there getting down if I fail. I'm not saying that, but I want to stay under pressure. I want to be in that realm of like, man, 
I, I don't want to take the easy way out. I don't want to be just relaxing. I know that there's downtime and I get that, but I always want to keep the pressure on myself. Okay. And I, I get it. Like, I, I don't care what my competition's doing. I know what they're doing, but I stay in my own lane. I always try to keep that pressure on myself of saying, all right, like I was really visualizing that hunt today. That decoy spread meant something to me. My conversations with Trey going into it meant something, the false line, how we're hiding, how we're going to do this. Like I want it all to work out. And mm -hmm. then when you go out there and you kill them, like we did the day before yesterday, you're mm -hmm. like, Man, that's freaking unbelievable that when you don't today, you're like questioning yourself. Well, there's nothing we could have done. Mm -mm. I kept the pressure on myself, though. Mm -hmm. I started going into planning for the very next one. How are we going to become successful and learn from what we did today or okay. figure out how to become better with the situation we're in with the barometric pressure and the, and the temperatures and the warm weather and all that? So we got a game plan for tomorrow now. So you know, Mother Nature's all sure Here's the thing that you need to recognize what you just described because it's perfect is yes you keep the pressure on yourself but you're not beating yourself up because it didn't go your way mm -hmm. you can't control those birds we did the best thing we knew how to do to set all that up today and set out all those decos and those blinds and it didn't go our way but you're not beating yourself up about that sure. and that's what a lot of people do they quagmire themselves in beating themselves up because they failed and because it didn't work out and and they get into that mindset instead of you're already figuring out what we can do better, how we can fix this, how we can go back and be successful tomorrow. Exactly. And that's the perfect mindset. That's exactly what you need to be in. And that's what everybody else needs to learn from that situation. And you can't beat yourself up. You, know? no. you have to embrace it and recognize, oh, this is my opportunity to figure out what I need to change to be successful. Yeah, I wish I would have learned that at 21 instead of 45. I know, right? Well, so much <laughs> yeah. of this stuff. How long did it take you to learn how to duck call? Completely changed the subject, but how long did it take you to learn how to duck call? I still don't think I have. And and all right, in in because I I guess they do have. I don't know if they do or not. But how do you rank yourself worldwide on duck calling? Like you got to be pretty. They have damn competitions. Good. Yeah, I've but, won some big duck calling competitions and meat calling. In what calling? Meat calling, uh, live duck calling. Like, there's the competition that's called Main Street, Stuttgart, Arkansas, to where yeah. you're, you're, it's kind of like a musical instrument at that point, and you're doing a 90 second routine. And I competed in that three times and got my ass literally destroyed, embarrassed, boot off stage, really? pretty much. Oh yeah, but I, but learn from it. And I always knew that I, I wasn't there to win. I was there to network. I, when I went there, and I'm like, oh my god, listen to John Stevens or Jim Ronquist or all these guys from Arkansas or, or Iowa or the Echo Boys. You're just like, good night. But it drove me. Like I started to open up these doors in the industry of like. Man, Max Prairie Wings. I met Fred Zink and I met Kelly Powers and I met Chuck Locke and I met Christian Curtis. And I started networking and that started turning into opportunity. And that's how the foul life started in 2008 was through opportunity from Ducks, a Ducks Unlimited TV show called Water Dog that I was filming with Justin Tackett and Shannon Nardi. I took them on a West Coast run out in Oregon, Idaho, and Nevada. And that producer was from oh, right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Divine Productions was on that run producing their show. And he called me 30 days later and said, we loved you on camera. Would you be interested in shooting a pilot and having your own show? And I'm like, heck yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to name it Dr. Duck. I'm going to write a prescription. I'm going to write, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a prescription for success every episode. And you're going to see me with this prescription pad. And I'm like, who the hell am I 
to try to write a prescription for success. So then Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie, Lionel's daughter, uh-huh. had a show on MTV at the time called The Simple Life. Mm-hmm. And there are these billionaire chicks out there milking cows and picking up chicken shit and eggs and all this stuff, mm-hmm. living on a farm like the Pauly Shore movie, Son-in-Law, remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to name a show The Foul Life. So that's how that started. And I had this big mountain in my office. And now that's still mount- like Dr. Duck. <laughs> yeah. So I had this mountain in my office. Um, it was nine greenheads coming through flooded timber. It's on a pedestal. It's now in Arkansas in a lodge down there. And every, all nine of them were banded. And oh, I had wow. this plaque put on it, it said, Strike up the band, because I'm a huge music junkie. And it said, Strike up the band. And it had a no trespassing sign, like all you rednecks shooting all these signs. It had all these BB holes in it. And I and I got off I got off the phone. Long story short, he, the production company ended up not being able to do it because his mom got ill and they had to put her in the Mayo Clinic. <clears throat> and I asked Mister Mike Devine. I said, "Do you mind if I try this on my own?" Because I was already into it. I owned a portable toilet company with two partners at the time, and I'm like, I had the the falls and the winter off because construction slowed down. I'm like, I'm going to move forward with it. So I got off the phone with him and I looked at that duck mount and I said, "I'm going to try to name a company Banded." Because all nine of them ducks were banded. And I got on the, the horn with my intellectual property attorney. I said, I know we're not going to get it, but this is synonymous with duck hunting and goose hunting. I want to name a company banded. And I want it for merch. I want it for TV production. I want it for everything that we can lock up. And we got it. Pretty and that's brilliant. the vest you're wearing banded. And this, this yeah. deal that started in 2008. And now we have 3,500 SKUs in the line. But back to Dan's question, I wore people freaking out out like i would wear my mom out i would wear my dad out i would wear any girlfriend i ever had duck calling just duck calling and goose calling and <laughs> and trying to learn the nuances of it and the timing and the posturing and the body language and how to read ducks and and how and all the different voices that are out there i wanted to be as realistic and as authentic and legitimate as i possibly could so i was never going to stop until I could record myself and run it back and go, that sounds like real ducks. Mm. So when real you ducks. did that thing in Stuckart and those guys beat your ass. Yeah. Destroyed. They me. were what 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 were how how were they so much better than than you? I guess it was a long time ago. You've gotten a lot better since then. Oh yeah, way better since then. I guess what did you learn from that other than networking? I learned how to control my air. I learned how to become a musician. I learned that Anybody that's ever played a wooden reeded instrument like a clarinet or a saxophone or could sing like Gary LaVox doesn't sing with puffy cheeks. They sing with their stomach and their diaphragm mm-hmm. and they can hold air in and control. When Axl Rose does that, I, 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 in, in Sweet Child of Mine, he is singing from his gut. And in duck calling, you, you, you're talking passionately from your gut. If you punch, if I punched you or if you punched me as hard as you could, <clears throat> which I don't want you to. In the gut and knocked all my air out. And I tried to tell Randy a secret. That's how a duck talks, a goose honks, a turkey gobbles, a coyote howls, or an elk bugles. They go, the elk bugle is my thing. Randy, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, Randy, I, it's all tight, pressurized, warm air from the diaphragm. So I learned that control of being able to like, oh, that's how you sing. Oh, that's how you can play the how Kenny G can just rip that thing. And it looks like they're on one breath, but they're really mm-hmm. just breathing in and out of that instrument. And when I'm on my duck call or my goose call, I'm breathing in and out. It becomes my beak. So when you, when you breathe in, you don't make any sound on those instruments. But when you breathe out, you have to be able to control it with back pressure, diaphragm, 
fatty tissues of your mouth, pressurized air coming through your pierced lips, kind of like when we were kids and you had that bike pump, when you press down on the handle, that tight air would go through that little thing into your tube. That's the, that's the diaphragm working. And if you take a piece of Kleenex and lay it on a table, and if you present your air on that piece of Kleenex, can you hand me a napkin real quick? A, a, a real piece, a little tiny napkin. If you present your air on that Kleenex, um, like this is heavier right here, but if you take a real piece of like toilet paper or Kleenex tissue and you blow that like you're going to blow out your birthday candles, it shoots across the table. Okay, if you present your air to that, like you're going to blow an elk bugle or a turkey diaphragm or a duck call or a goose call, you can feel the air coming out of my mouth. But it doesn't move the paper. So then I started literally sitting Kleenex on my table and practicing that for hours of how to control that air. It's almost like you're putting that air out there, but you're sucking it back. Like you're holding a note. And then when I learned that, I was like, oh, I can control my air through my diaphragm. And then the duck calling all became like, oh man. And I started to be able to hold my notes longer, stand on that first note, read that body language, and then manipulate them and negotiate, having a negotiation with them. And so that's what I learned was a piece of Kleenex and then studying the art of singing or playing an instrument of using your diaphragm. And I, and I, I was an asthmatic my whole life. And I learned diaphragmatic breathing as a kid, you know, same here, you know, in through your nose and out through Pierce's mouth and using your diaphragm, pressing your belly out and all that. So I was like, man, this makes total sense. So then I got addicted to the jargon, which I named a company jargon, our duck call company. Now I got addicted to the jargon of how people converse. If you listen, if you put the headphones on in the cockpit of a plane and listen to air traffic control, you don't have a freaking idea what they're saying unless you're a pilot. If you listen to or an air traffic controller or an air traffic controller, but if you listen to a baseball player, doesn't talk the same as a basketball player does. Right. So then I started thinking like all the jargon that goes into communicating mm-hmm. with your hunting partner, get down, cover up, shake the water, pull the jerk string. Your dog don't understand that. But when I say watch steady, fetch, you know, give all that. I don't say that to you. I don't like go, Hey, fetch, Gary. Well, my you, dog. you did a couple of times. <laughs> so, so, so then there's the second level of jargon. You got your boys, you got your dog. And then the third level is negotiating with the wild animal that you're pursuing. And you're having this conversation with this animal and you're like, holy shit, they're listening to me. So and that's kind of a, a long-winded answer, Hendo, but I got infatuated with conversing. I always wanted to be able to sit across the table and manhandle somebody in a business meeting negotiate with them until I got my way in an ethical manner. I wanted to be a good negotiator, have the art of negotiation, and then be able to do it with a dog, be able to control that dog and make him a well-mannered or her a well-mannered, you know, dog. And then I wanted to be able to manipulate and control wild animals and put them in your lap. I wanted, I wanted to always be able to put wild animals in your lap. So in, in the, in the, in the big scheme of things, that stage in Stuttgart, <clears throat> standing up there on deck and listening to John Stevens, who owns Rich and Tone Duck Calls in Arkansas, three-time world champion, champion of champions, the best duck caller of all time. I followed him. I went right after him my second time in Stuttgart. And the judges laughed at me because they're like, we went from this to this. And I'm just cut, right? Mm-hmm. But it taught me like, oh, my God, you can do that. 
there's a way to get yeah. there, right? So that's what drove me to become. I was way more successful in goose calling competitions than I ever was in duck, but I had some success in duck, but it drove me to become a master, what I want to call like a master of reading wild animals and not shooting at them until they're in my lap. Interesting. I wanted to always have them like in, I want, I guess I wanted the intimacy. I don't want to shoot a goose at 70 yards going over my head because I don't give a shit to see a goose die. I don't want to clip him and make him suffer or cripple him. I want to trick him negotiate him into my decoy spread and kill him dead 15 feet dog brings him back we eat him that night no cripples no no suffering there's got to be compassion for the animal and respect for the resource i've never gotten off on the kill i'm unapologetic about killing them because we have to manage them but i've never gotten off on seeing an animal die and it's actually quite sad if you think about it you put these slow motion camera on these animals and see what a broadhead does to a freaking whitetail at 21 yards. It's freaking agonizing. So I wanted to always respect that and be like, let's get him as close as we can and kill him dead. There's all kinds of methods to do it and to each their own, as long yeah, as it's legal. I'm kind of a, the opinion that that arrow is a lot more gracious and than a wolf. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Then nature is a brutal, brutal place. I mean, come on. hundred percent. I, I'm not. I'm not making excuses for the kill. I just wanted to make sure that if you're going to kill a whitetail, you put them in your lap through being able to be a, a good deer hunter and be able to hone make your skill set, shot. And develop uh, your skill set, well, and, and, and then on your table. Yeah, no, well, that's the greatest thing about being a bow hunter. I think well, I, I love it so much. The bow hunting thing is doing everything right with access, the way you enter, the way you leave, the way that you know th the pressure, wind. You know, there's no substitute for a perfect wind and when you do everything right and you're getting a, a 20 yard shot it, you've done it right if you're you know if you're between if you're catching them from bedroom going to feed or you're catching them if you know where they're going to come out and stage before they hit the food plate you, you've done your homework and you're 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 outsmarting at that point you're sitting there would you you would you clip onto that loop and you get to like okay if i can get full draw he's, he's dead you've done it all right you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you've outsmarted a wild animal. That's the best. Is the feeling. You know? I always loved that because it was so much more personal. Yeah. Intimate. I'm not taking a shot outside of 40 yards. Yeah. It's not like rifle hunting or any other kind of hunting. That's one of the reasons why I love archery hunting as well. It's mm -hmm. so much more engaging and personal. You have to do all that homework. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out all this stuff. If you think you're going to get that close to a wild animal yeah. and get a shot where you can actually put them down. And that's, that's what I love about that. It's way more complicated. It's way more than just putting the crosshairs mm -hmm. on an animal. Like and it's like fighting in a way three, because you four, can't go into archery season yard. and just pick up your bow and be like, you got to practice. Mm -hmm. You got to strategize. You got to train. You got to be able to have this skill set that when you go out there and you implement it and you're going to execute, there's a lot more riding on it, in my opinion, when you have taken the responsibility of taking an animal's life. Mm, sure. And I've just always had the mindset through my dad, get the animal close and kill the animal dead. And so I just, I, you know, yeah. to answer Hannah's question is the intimacy of the, the conversation and, and that, that legitimacy of like what you just said, Couture, is like, he's, he's there. We got him. Lavox just said it. We, we tricked him. Yeah. Her. We got the job done. But there's the beauty of duck and goose hunting, turkey hunting, elk hunting. You're communicating with mm -hmm. a wild animal. Yeah, it's the That's so amazing to me. And he's believing you. Elk is yeah. my favorite he's quarry. Believing. Not today. Elk, yeah. elk is my favorite quarry. 
and learning how to cow call and how to calf call and how to, how to be a bull elk and and breathe and like you're saying learning how to tell clear the- that out there so that they you know and then communicate in a way that he thinks you're a challenge yeah. or a threat, yeah. or he thinks you're a saucy cow, yeah. and he wants yeah, to come yeah, in and get yeah, some. What does the saucy cow say? He's trying to say, "Come fuck me!" Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I agree a hundred percent. I think that. I, I I got in trouble one time. I wrote an article for the Goose Hunters Journal, and I and I kind of offended jump shooters. I said, man, there's nothing good about walking up on a bank of a river and shooting ducks when they get off the water. And then I had these guys from Virginia call me and said, who are the are you to tell us that we can't go out and do what my grandpa's been doing for 50 years and jump shoot wood ducks off a creek and eat them for dinner? Mm-hmm. And I learned right then and there to each their own. I'm not going to judge the way you hunt. I might judge a little bit. I don't like somebody shooting an elk at 1,100 yards yeah. with a rifle just because Christensen Arm builds a badass rifle with a carbon fiber barrel and optics that a freaking sniper would use in freaking Afghanistan. I don't give a shit. Like, that's not hunting to me. But I had to get past that. I had to say, you know what? To each their own. But I don't want them crippling that elk. Yeah. And, and then you got to go over there 1,100 yards and hope that you can catch up with the blood trail. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 right? So I have, I have issues with some of that stuff. But I learned right there, like, People are going to do it their way. You got to respect that. I just wanted to try to have an avenue and a platform with the foul life and what we've built with Bandit and everything of saying, here's how we do it. And the intimacy with that animal and to be able to see them do that. That's like God's glory. Like when you saw those ducks do that the day before yesterday, Gary LaVox literally said, I think I'm going to be a full-time duck hunter. And it just took that one time of that sunshine, those mallards being mallards in their majesty. And you're just like, holy shit, I'm eating up with this. Mm. And now I'm 48 years old and I'm more excited about seeing mallards tomorrow than I was when I was, I started duck hunting when I was 27. So I've been doing it not very long, but long enough to understand that tomorrow's new. I'm going to see so much more <coughs> tomorrow that I'm probably never seen again. And that's then how I look today. forward to it. Then today, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent than today. But there's, but there's a lot. <clears throat> If we don't see more than we, we saw today. Saw, we actually saw a lot today. We did see a lot. Yeah, but it was a different didn't kind of. Get them to that come was out. not. That was only. That was a hundred percent the weather. That oh. full moon, and those mallards being nocturnal. They're feeding at night. Sixty They're degrees. They're happy to sit on the water There's all no day sense until it gets dark, and then fly to wherever they're nesting. Yeah, and they ate for like ten minutes and went back to the water. They're not yeah. even that hungry. Yeah, not even that hungry. But again, I just want to finish what I was saying: is that to each their own. Do you? Just have compassion for the animal you're pursuing. And, and, and I know that you said something yesterday that I totally disagree with, and I hope that you don't get mad at me for bringing this up, but I don't like when I hear people say F, the F word, a coyote. I understand that coyotes cause devastation to whitetail herds and turkeys and, and this and that, and it's our job to manage predators. Yeah. But I have a ton of respect for coyotes and the way they can hunt and the way that the way that they've owned this world and we've built into their land. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so there's this whole mindset of me of being a predator hunter that I don't want to see a video on Tic Tac or freaking Instagram or whatever these things are of a coyote and a snare trap suffering. Go dispatch that freaking coyote, put him in your truck and go skin him out and go to the fur trade. And that's it. I don't want to see a coyote suffering. He's an animal. He deserves respect. Sure. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. Well, just like we have to regulate the the elk herd and the deer herd and and these birds and all these other things that we more. hunt, we've got to hunt. We've got to regulate and manage the predators as well. Ooh. 
Now, I'm the biggest coyote hunter. I, I'll shoot a coyote every time I see it. But yeah. I'm not a, I mean, I, I've killed a bear with my bow. Uh, I've not hunted cats, not hunted coyotes, not hunted bobcats, not hunted cougars. I can't eat them. You there's, can eat a cougar, Randy. I've heard a lot of Steve people do that now. Says Some you people can eat a coyote. have re- actually told me that you recently. Like, you don't like they, pussy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, in the interest of this podcast, Danny, I am not going to answer that question. You can say yes or no, Randy Couture. Well, there's an absolute yes there, but Pendo came from the floor with that one. <laughs> that was an H bomb. That's right. That was. H-bomb. The knockout. Well, there we go with that. Yeah, that was good. But you know what? You know it's coming. All but the time. I heard that people do eat cougar and and do eat some I heard of these it's pretty good. predators. But they, they do have to they be eat them. There's no 100. percent A lot of people eat squirrel. I haven't eaten that yet. You know, I, awesome. I love to trap. You know, I, I love it. If you're a good trapper, you're not gonna let them suffer. I love if you're trapping. gonna set it. You're gonna get up in the morning. You're gonna go check first light. You know, all that kind of stuff. But it's just it's the nature of the game. If if you want to have you know, like anything else, if you want to have turkeys, you're going to have to trap coons, skunks, possums, coyotes, bobcats. You're going to have to do it, you know. I mean, if you want turkeys and quail and rabbits and They took me on a coon stuff. hunt on my recruiting trip to Oklahoma State. Mike Sheets. With, with headlamps at night? Yes. That's the funnest. And dogs. dogs yeah. We didn't treat a coon, unfortunately. We treat a possum. Oh, yeah. Those are cool. And Mike Sheets is standing next to me. He's like, yeah, man, climb up that tree and kick that possum out. Let the dogs have it. I'm like, no way. I'm not climbing up that damn tree. He is pissed. And he climbs way better than I do. (laughs) No, I'm not doing that. (laughs) That was in Oklahoma? Yeah, at Oklahoma State. My recruiting trip. Are you the same age as Barry Sanders? Barry Sanders... Senior year was my freshman year. I got oh, to really? watch so Barry you got to watch play. him do that shit. Yeah. He ran two kickoffs back for touchdowns the first game I went to. I was like, who is this God? Right. Good but, Lord. But you were an older freshman. I was know? a 25-year-old so freshman because I spent six years in the Army already. So I was so the you, old man on campus. Why do you keep pointing out his age? No, I'm not. I'm just saying. <laughs> he fought longer than I did. We started at the so same time. So you're saying that you're the same age as Barry Sanders then is what you're uh, no, probably. I'm saying he might be a little bit older even. I, I might be older than Barry because I had a six-year gap where I, I delayed my entry to. What an admirable way to retire from the NFL. Like you guys just said, like you did it your way and walked out. So did oh, he. Oh, that dude. He's and, like, I'm gone. Can you imagine if he was with a top flight team and played and had for a real line oh, yeah. and, and all of that? I mean, he did what he did with the Detroit Lions, who were literally, you know, I'm not bashing on the Lions. I have, I have one of their shirts because it's got his name on the back of it. Mm-hmm. Huge fan. Sweetest guy you have ever Friends met. Friends with him? Oh, my gosh. No, I wish. But I met him in the weight room. We shared the same weight room. I saw him almost every week that I was there his senior year. And he was the most humble, amazing man to be around. He was a great guy. So you're, you have ties to this state of Oklahoma that we're recording this podcast in. Yeah, I do. We've been hanging out with a lot of people from Oklahoma the last few days. Merle Haggard has a song called Okie from Muskogee. Mm-hmm. which Muskogee is a town here in Oklahoma. Yep. There's a line in that song, Randy Couture, about 
I can't remember how it goes. It's the, the funnest thing in town was white lightning. And it, help me out here, somebody. There's a line in Oki for, yeah, white, white lightning is still the biggest thrill in town. So does that mean that Okies get on the roof and watch lightning storms? Or is white lightning alcohol and they get drunk off of That's this? That's moonshine, bro. That's got to be moonshine. White so they're lightning? talking, moonshine is the biggest thrill in town? Or are they talking about a lightning storm? I've never understood that part of that song. Well, it's too Probably windy here to sit on a roof. Here. What? It's too windy to here to sit on a roof. Well, maybe you don't so, sit on a roof. But we do get a lot of lightning storms and tornadoes. That's, that's where I got so, from. Yeah, but, but I also do believe that there's a lot of moonshine. Was there moonshine in, in Oklahoma? In Oklahoma, there's absolutely oh, yeah. moonshine. Not Come really. on, moonshine. It could have been a white line. A what? <laughs> <laughs> no, so then, lightning, then, lightning, then, not line, then, not white line. Stamps, line. Stamps, you're from then, Oklahoma. What does that line mean? <laughs> Do you guys get off on watching lightning storms here, or does it mean moonshine? I'm gonna have to go with moonshine. If white lights, I think it's moonshine. I think it's moonshine too. Okay, listen, I agree with her because here's why: the line says, "And white lightning is still the biggest thrill in town." Well, if it was about alcohol, of course, like they're, they're not saying that they're saying that this town is so simple that a lightning storm is what gets us off is my, okay. is what I'm thinking. All right. All right. I think they're, I think they're just making they're, shine they're, because it's still, you know, nobody's paying taxes on it. That's the oldest bootlegger thing Mr. in the world. Only older is prostitution. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. There was a white bud up there. Yeah. That developed. Yeah. This developed. Yeah. White whiskey. Yeah. From that, that oh. thump keg, that worm. So it's about why it's about alcohol. It's white lightning. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Thank you. Well, George I'll be here all week. What was the George Jones line about white lightning? White lightning. What song was that? White lightning. Yeah. Was that about moonshine too? Mm-hmm. Thinking that we're on a podcast. I want you. There's a podcast out there. If you guys haven't listened to it yet, it's called "In the Red Clay" or "In the Red Dirt." Don't quote me on that. It's about the Dixie Mafia in the beginning of of moonshining and how nascar started was running hooch. we know that mm-hmm. how NASCAR but this started, is about sure. this dixie mafia about the murders that were taking place by this hitman in georgia and this whole thing i had no idea there was a dixie mafia it's freaking hmm. badass they actually go to the lake where he buried all these bodies i think there's it's, folks out there that don't recognize that they're part of the southern states that were owned by france at some point and and a deece a deeks it became dixie but Dix is a 10, is a coin in French, and, and that's where Dixie, the, the term Dixie came from, was actually from this French word. Really? Yes. And that's what Dixieland is all about. This is this area of our southern country that was owned by the French for a little while. Like New Orleans. You never heard that before? Never. Like Dix is 10 in French. Really? Yeah. Dix is in Italian, so Dix, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to agree with that white lightning bullshit. About lightning, white lightning, still the biggest thrill in town. I think it's about watching lightning storm. 
So Gary, the storms are pretty impressive. After, after Chad did his whole spiel on how he was calling and, and how to control your diaphragm <laughs> and and, yeah. and the What's sound that? and music that he made from calling out of that. I, I, saw, I, his, feel like, I saw his fucking his sweatpants I, stretching over here. No, he he got excited. My point is, the difference between a cheeseburger and a bone? <laughs> no, my, no, my, my, I've enjoyed this podcast. No, my, my, my point, Gary, my point is that I feel like you can't no <laughs> longer say that you've never had a singing lesson because he just gave us all one. He did. He did, yeah. and he was totally right too. Just all the diaphragm stuff and everything. Mm. Yeah, that's really? my problem. Yeah, they always asked me to sing, and and I was trying to do it from here, and it doesn't right. come from yeah. there. It's the stomach. It's the. I, I, yeah. I always just thought it was a birth control thing. <laughs> it is it's Viagra deal. What that is? <laughs> Fat Life TV brought to you by <laughs> Viagra. <laughs> Have you ever taken a Viagra? No. Swear on your life? Mm-mm. Randy, Swear on you? my life. Oh, yeah. yeah. For real? Oh, yeah. Do they work? Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get pogo stick from here to there, for sure. I've, yeah. I've done a Cialis once or twice. You have? Yeah. I and, like the Cialis and, better. It's a little moderate, more moderate. And, it's not quite so... A friend of mine that may or may not have gave it to me, may or may not have said... And he, he may or may not been playing baseball, pro baseball, and he said it's like it's like batting with a aluminum bat in the majors. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great perfect. analogy. That was I perfect. love that. So you've never taken one ever? I never have. Really? Mm-mm. I'm gonna try one. I had, no. a, uh, well, I had a team doctor, Team Quest. You know, doc. Yeah. Anyway. He gave me some of those. They get samples. All these doctors yeah. get samples. Look at this guy coming in here. This uh, segment of the podcast is brought to you again by Cajun Boy Catering. He's bringing. Oh Lord, really? It's look at, oh my God! Holy shit! Oh, look Seriously? At this, look at this tomahawk. Bring that over here. What is that? Bring that's a lollipop. Hey, that is keep the boat away from Randy. He, it's all he wants. Hold on, Kater, hold that up. Let me get a that is a freaking lollipop. As I say it, he grabs it. Come on, Brian. Don't trip on his cord. Yeah, easy killer, easy. Freeze my ass. That's a good one. Hold on. One more. I'm going to get one with the uh, okay, just flash on. Too. There it goes. This is pretty interesting. <laughs> Damn. Look that's, at that thing. It's good. Here you go, Randy. Thank you, brother. All good. Cajun Boy Catering is about to serve a bone-in tomahawk ribeye from the one and only Brian Stamps. Grasslands Wagyu, straight out of Oklahoma. This is a unbelievable strain Unreal. of Wagyu beef. Australian or Japanese? Uh, American. American Wagyu, Grasslands Wagyu. Can they buy this steak online, Brian Stamps? What's the website? Grasslandswagyu.com. What does that run MSRP right there, if you don't mind telling the audience? So that's about a two-pounder? That's a hundred dollar piece of meat, Randy Couture. Oh Lord, God, it smells good. Did you use the provider rub on that Cajun boy? Which one? 
You better have an answer. The one with the <laughs> drop times. Fish. Oh, the fish was good. The redfish. Oh, Blake. my God. Amazing. Use the new drop brand. Drop time. The Which brand? Oh, Randy Couture's eating it right Ooh, off the bat. You got a new wow, one? Yeah. What is, what is it? The brand and the mother oh clucking chicken. Oh, that's good. Oh, I don't have either Damn one of those. It. Look at that. It's perfect. That looks awesome. You guys do that on the Traeger? Is that off the Traeger? Ironwood 880. It's off the Traeger. Ironwood 885. Hey, Gary. Sir? It's been a good year. I'll tell you what, boys. <laughs> good year. Throw some salt on it. I got it. Been a good year. I'll get us another one. We need it. Yeah. Right Have a good year, boys. Randy, good year. I know it's exciting, but don't throw none of your salt on it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Randy, I feel like you need to go get a room with that bone. I know, right? Jesus. Mm. Oh, I better. Lord have mercy. Thank you. That should be illegal. Mm. I think it is in some states. Right down. It tastes like shit. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no. That's that is an aphrodisiac. Yeah. You'll get used to Dan's sarcasm after a while. Wow, no, that's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> I make fun of it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, unbelievable. Gary, you're going to rock band. Rolling Stones yeah. or Guns N' Roses? We, we will. Have Rolling to. Stones or Guns N' Roses? Who's better? I mean, I'm going to have to go Guns N' Roses, you know? Really? For my taste. Really? Huh. Yeah. I like them, and I like some of their songs, but I'm... I'm mm. I'm a bigger Rolling Stones fan. I am too. Is it on right now? I'm not like I gotta be wrong. Maybe talk. Burnt end. Maybe relax. Gary, it is right where it is. Gary, what's the best hip hop artist of all time? Who is? Nelly. Nelly. That's not a bad call, but it ain't Nelly. Hip hop. There's gotta be. I like Michael Jackson. Fifty Cent. Eminem's the best of all time. I like Fifty Cent, and I like I like Wiz Khalifa. And I've actually gotten to know both of those guys. I've gotten to know both those guys, and they're they're freaking great guys. Were you in a movie with Michael Jackson? Not in that category. No, Michael Jackson's pop. He's the king of pop. He's the greatest of all time. Don't say it, Gary. I'm not. Don't. I'm not. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, That's my problem. I love his music, but the elephant in the room is that oh, other stuff. Is the other one on right now? Take it off now. That's unreal. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. So heavy. We have like an MMA fight with QT Bounds. Like the oh really? God, match match a sword fight. You never know what could happen with all them fucking oysters. sword fight are we talking about here? the dark, dark condom fight. <laughs> What, <laughs> Gary? If you were an MMA Daddy. fighter, yeah. If you were, yeah. What song do you walk out to? 
Rising up, back on my feet. Yeah. Took my time, took Even my it's chances. Been used a million times. Yeah, I mean that's. You'd have to use Eye of the Tiger. Pretty yeah. iconic. Pretty that's iconic. Uh, 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 yeah. I tried to get Sly and Dolph to come. Took okay, care, Uh That one looks better than the yeah, last that one. That looks really good. Uh, oh, good night. I danced to that the song. I danced with the stars, and I tried to get oh, Sly and. Hey, oh Gary. Gosh, that looks been a good year. It's been a real good almighty. year. Go ahead and get you another what one, boy. Hell? Hell? I'll get you another one. What's that dork's name that does the salt down his arm? I don't know, but what's it? Is that salt he bay. does for a living? I think Salt yeah, Bay or somebody said. He's got like a ton of daddy money or some shit. He's a wing job. He's a little more rare. Cut the meat dumb and mom issue. Yeah. I guarantee you this one's better than the last one. You want that money? I think it is, too. No, I can tell by looking at it. I can feel it. Pretty sure. Oh, yeah. It's a little... Yeah. That's medium rare there. That's the way I like it. We got Randy Couture in the cop podcast. (laughs) I'm not, like, trying to take up your podcast. No, come on in. I'm just saying, like, Randy Couture... I've never met you, don't know you, and not saying that like oh. I just I'm I'm a country boy from Oklahoma, I'm, and uh, well I appreciate seeing you that. eat my beef like I'm like oh my god <laughs> this guy's like he's like a fucking lion over here like eating it and like it's really good thank you damn right I've done a good job raising it but everybody wants to be a lion so it's time to do uh, lion tonight. shit and and the lions that are in this room oh, 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 lions oh, not oh. sheep. <laughs> Lies not sheep. I'm saying these these guys are like are they're hardcore. And uh, oh my oh, god, my god. Right, quit. Thank you, chefs. Where Gary go? You raised it right. Oh, you know, a real man could have done that from here. Hey, what's the website? CajunBoyCatering.com. If I live in Nevada, are you guys going to send me a box of stuff? Ready-made meals? Boudin? Wow. You guys got to hit that up. CajunBoyCatering.com. You like Boudin? You're at Boudin? We had it this morning with that shrimping good. Go to CajunBoyCatering.com. Let these dudes... Brett and Dalton get you a meal coming. You, Your family deserves to eat this way. Gary, is this good or what? These guys know how to cook? Mm-hmm. Mm. Gary, has it been a good year? Man, it's been a good year. <laughs> it's been a good year, boy. We're five days into Man, it. Man, see him going top. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Gary is going for his 17th piece of uh, Grasslands Wagyu <laughs> bone-in ribeye tomahawk. I'm just pissed because I got both the bones. You go to Vegas right there, that's a $390 steak in a restaurant. You know that, right? You've been to a lot of nice restaurants. It's been a lot of good years for you. <laughs> yeah, but there's some good ones. I never got that dork that with the salt on his arm, though, falling down. Salt bag. Yeah. I went to his restaurant in New York City last month. Two months ago, it was all right. But I mean, what's he do? Just cut it and then drop the salt on there? He's got restaurants all over the world. He does. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's a big deal if he comes to your table and, and does that. 
Why? Social media. What if you didn't want salt on your food? <laughs> He's a dork. In a good way. Well, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, kind of fun to punch him and yeah, put him on the back and then <laughs> sprinkle some salt over him. And oh, his ass out. Knock the salt right out of him? Yeah. That would be fun. Your dogs are going to go nuts over those. Quick. Mm-hmm. Those freaking bones are unbelievable. That's what happens when you podcast with me. You get, get fat. <laughs> you get fat. <laughs> you get fat. You eat. No, that's all protein. That's like, that's good eat, right? Is that good meat? Yeah, absolutely. Is that good to put in your body? I believe it is. There are some that may say no, but they're, you know, to each his own. It's hard know. to argue with the carnivore diet and the results people are well, getting from the carnivore diet. Now, yeah. I'm not doing the carnivore diet. But I think that's another podcast. Take that over to them. And you Please. have to have Brian on that one because he, sure last though. night he was talking about how healthy the, the fat and is from their Wagyu compared to any other fat. It, it's like olive oil type. You know, it's we're a lot more meat eaters than- as as humans. I mean, we're we're meat eaters. We're designed to be. But why do we have these canine teeth? We're meat eaters. Mm-hmm. Well, this vegan. Have stuff, you ever gone veg head or vegan at all? Ever? I did it for a little while going into uh, the first Chuck Liddell fight. I knew I had to cut down and be able to make two hundred five, and I didn't want to lose any strength or endurance. And you know, cut weight the wrong way, you know it immediately. Not going to perform well. So. I, I went on a more of a vegetable-based green diet through one of our mutual friends, Mr. Parsons, during that camp. And I've continued a bunch of that. I'm not nearly as strict and, and dialed in as I was for that camp, that particular 10-week camp. But um, I saw the wisdom and a lot of things I learned through that process. This is an, a water-based system. Alkaline and base is, is a very big thing. And all the diseases grow in an acidic environment. So the more sugar, beer, stress, all those things we put in our bodies create acidity in our bodies. And that's where those diseases grow. So the more alkalinity, alkaline water, greens, natural greens, even if you, I mean, I'm taking spirulina and chlorella now from Watershed Wellness Center. Those are the greens. I take them morning and night. I think they keep my system alkaline and eliminate a lot of the acidity that we tend to build up from bad food, processed food, GMO food, stress, what coffee, alcohol, some of you smoke cigarettes, all those sorts of things create acidity in our body. Is it and like a super green or something? Uh, spirulina and chlorella, are, they're forms of blue-green algae that have gotcha. a great source of protein and they're high in alkalinity. Gotcha. High alkaline water. Get, get, a, get a get a huh? no. get get go filters or go get get a an you know an alkaline, uh, alkaline system system hooked up to your faucet and turn the water that comes out of your faucet into high pH you know eight plus nine plus water and drink that water is so important to us as humans. Yeah, so. we don't drink enough of it. Do you drink enough water? Vitamin D. Where's the other one? Nobody talked about during none of these freaking knuckleheads talking about the COVID and everything else. Vitamin D is a huge thing that we're deficient on that we get from the sun that 
is a huge boost to our immune system that keeps us from getting sick. Why is the cold and flu season in the winter? Because mm-hmm. there's not as much sun. We're not getting the vitamin D. We're all deficient across the board. Yeah. Doesn't matter what state you live in. Tori had to supplement it. Yeah, so I got to put D. vitamin D. 50,000 milligrams a day. You have to. There's, you just can't get enough sun or drink enough I milk. feel like I get a lot of sun. And I'm super tan most of the year. That's, that's no guy ever. That's your genes, buddy. Yeah. You're super tan because of your genes. I'm super tan. I'm not talking about around. the pants you're wearing. Take them off, Dan. Let's see how tan you are. I don't wear underwear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's change the nature of this podcast real yeah. quick. Well, I, I'm actually wearing underwear this week since I got a roommate. But from backwards. <laughs> <laughs> the backwards. Not usually. <laughs> Just in this duck camp, I am. Yeah. <laughs> duck, duck, go. Some things are ass backwards, I guess. <laughs> Gary, do you have any final thoughts, closing words on being able to sit next to Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, talk about... It's, I'm speechless, to be honest, because a bit just... You know, they're, they're, as amazing fighters that they are, they're actually, I mean, they're, they're, they're better people than what their records could ever show, you know. So it's just, uh, it's awesome that they're, you know, they're exactly what everybody rooted for, not just in the octagon because to watch them fight, but who they are as human beings, you know. And Randy, you've met a lot of celebrities. Is it cool being around the Gary LaVox yes. that sold yes, out? Yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> oh, you were asking Randy? <laughs> Ezekiel, too. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Gary LaVox? Yeah, Randy? absolutely. You know, I met Gary a few years ago at an NRA hunt. Not an NRA hunt. An NRA shoot in, in uh, Nellis Air Force Base in Vegas and, and immediately gravitated towards this guy yeah. whose music I loved and he was so gracious, not just with me, but with everybody that day. I asked it Randy an for a picture. Day and, uh, you did? I knew he was an archer, which, again, one of those things, you know, that I do that I was really happy to learn that he does as well. And mm-hmm. um, he's just one of those salt of the earth type of people that hasn't let his success and all the things that he's accomplished go to his head. He's, he's just like you and me, and that's something I appreciate and really love. What about you, Hendo? Do you like the fact that, I mean, you know a lot of artists. You, you hang with a lot of country music guys. Is, is it easy for you to like meet somebody like LaVox and be like, oh, yeah, he's one of us. This is going to be a good week. Have you ever met one that you don't have that feeling for? That's turned you away a little bit, and and but it, and what's his name? If it is, <laughs> I'm sure I have. Well, you know, there, I guess there's different degrees to that. There's some of them that, you know, are, are pretty cool, pretty nice, pretty much same like minded, but you know, it's rare and not rare because I got a few of them that are pretty close, and and like Michael Ray was here, mm-hmm. but. Guys like you are, are, you know, right up my alley with as far as uh, sense of humor, having fun, enjoying life, as well as yeah, respecting buddy. others and and making sure that, you know, you're having a good time with them and, and uh, being, like I said, just being respectful, which is the respect part, is, I think, is the most rare part of of certain celebrities i sure. guess 
they start I guess losing, that's losing something respect. That maybe all our, our entire society has strayed away from. We don't, we yeah. don't give people yeah. the respect that they deserve. We don't know them. We don't know what shoes they've walked in for however long they've been walking right. in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so being able to step back, have a little empathy for somebody else's walk in life and, and be respectful of that is, is a huge thing. And I think we've lost sight of that a lot in our society. But I agree. Mm-hmm. Before we end this, let's give some thanks to some folks. Looking at this right up here, to your guys' left. Oh, yeah. Your guys' left is uh, Lavox and Couture. To your right hand, though, it says Airborne Special Forces. The man we're staying with, he was DEA in Oklahoma. He was police chief in the town of Binger, Oklahoma, where the great Johnny Bench from the Cincinnati Reds is from, Hall of Fame catcher. But he's done it all. Um, and he's rolling out the red carpet for us this week here at Law Dog Lodge. Mm-hmm. Great man. Russ is a great man. Thank you, Mr. Russ Higby. He's great, isn't he, Gary? Yes, he's awesome. Just a, he standing around some, you know, just what he went through and, you know, airborne at such a young age. And, you know, I mean, he stepped up and served. That's, you know, he didn't get a, he volunteered for that, you know been there done Stuck. that yep. randy the beef we just ate grasslands wagyu brian stamps good guy yeah nice beard amazing beard guy game, got beard that. game strong do you got, look at a guy like brian stamps and go fucking beard game strong brian <laughs> yeah got a great beard <laughs> yeah. I, I aspire to that <laughs> uh but as down to earth as i brian's come, like a redneck sitting hippie. in the, like he's he's a jerry garcia deadhead yeah i think he is i don't know where is he, is he in here are you deadhead do you like, but you don't like fish. Oh, gosh, damn it. He's freaking. Brent Cobb. So he's, he's a happy-go-lucky dude that you never know his success. I, I wanted him to tell that story on the bus today because I find it amazing that you could do that in life. Like, yeah. you're like looking at land and plot management and like you get this, uh, this opportunity and then it grows into what Stamps Oil became and mm-hmm. his success and his wife and, and, and his family and his brother. And like, that's the American dream. Yeah. Right. To be retired at 45, like not saying he doesn't work anymore, but that's cool. And he also provided us with this meat. So thank mm-hmm. you, Brian Stamps. Thank yeah, you, the Stamps family. Absolutely. Thank you, Grassland Wagyu. Yeah, Cajun boy catering. Do they know how to cook, Hendo? Yeah, they could they could cook some shit for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good crew. Yeah, that's a pretty good crew. You put some of that marmalata they made today on a turd, I'd probably eat it. Yeah, that's freaking that, that good. That should be the motto underneath it, right there. Right there. The yeah, original family it. sandwich. No. They, cook, they cook some shit. <laughs> <laughs> they cook some shit. Yeah. They cook some they shit. They get some good shit. <laughs> you guys got to meet Brian McGeehee, Gator Coolers. He's re- the reason that uh, Cajun Boy Catering is up here. Brian is living the American dream. Yeah, man. Entrepreneurial spirit, taking yeah. a risk, not afraid to jump into the water. Yeah. Head first, growing a business. Yeah. Bringing his manufacturing to the states from right. overseas. The That's rumor great. is to the great state of Montana, which is awesome. Sweet. Brian awesome. McGeehee Gator Coolers, thank you very much. Check out their new line of drinkware, their new thermo. It's Chadley, thank you, brother, for having us in Heck camp yeah, and man. setting yeah. all this stuff up and just taking care of us, man, like you do. And Thank you for learning you. how to talk to birds. Not today. They weren't listening today. Yeah. They were kind of listening. You were they talking. thought about it. But I appreciate you saying that, Gary. You're the man. Well, I appreciate you, bro. 
and you know to go to your place and uh well, anytime well, we're, we get we're to all experience gonna do there. It. We're all gonna do it. Come down and kill turkeys this spring. Get some turkeys. My place. Get uh Don Jr. back over there. Yeah, we'll get Junior back over there. Don Jr. For sure. Any closing words, Hendo? I got not a whole lot. Just very thankful for the weekend and or the week, I should say. I'm here. I was here for nine days, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's, it's been, been a great mail here now. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's been... awesome set of people, and everybody's been great that, that's been in this camp. It's every year. It's so awesome here. Yeah, that's why it's not my first year. I'll come back again. I want to. You I might not have me, Gary. As a talent, a talented singer songwriter. Um, Are you talking to? Well, they're both oh. great songwriters, but Gary Levox, yeah. how talented is Cody Cannon and Whiskey Myers? What what you saw the other night with him playing here? Yeah, I mean, super talented, you know, super gifted. I hope it. I hope he. I, mean, I hope they blow up and kill it. I hope he's just got longevity and, you know, all especially that stuff. without doing it without a label. Yeah, great guy though, huh? That's, yeah, he's, that's I mean, he's kind of the guy. new. That's kind of the new way things are going, isn't it? Yeah, it's, well, it's like Teddy swims. You guys hooked like hip on Teddy. Teddy does all that. I mean, he's just killing it. No record deal. Same thing. And that's what social media does. He, you can promote your shows. You can sell your stuff. It's our newspaper. It's our, how you, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's everything. What's you know? interesting to me about that is the vinyl's coming back. People are buying record oh, players again records. and vinyl and nobody's making, I mean, you got to go find all these classic vinyl yeah. albums that we all grew up with that, Nobody's really putting vinyl out anymore. It's weird. And next yeah. thing, weird next thing coming out are eight tracks. Yeah, shit. Well, I'm not a fan of those, but I grew up through that era. <laughs> right at Rod Stewart eight tracks. Right in the middle of More Than a Feeling by Boston. Oh, you got to stop and wait for it to pick up the next track. It was a ta- those were a tad before my time. More than a feeling. Did you put out an A track ever? No. <laughs> but I might have to do at least one just to say I did put one out. Oh my gosh. All right. So, what we're going to do with this episode of this podcast is we're going to double it up. We're going to have this released on the Foul Life because that's what we're living right now here in Oklahoma with the Law Dog Lodge and Flatline Outfitters. I want to get, send a huge thank you out to Trey Miller, his partner, Blue Moore. These guys work their tails off, boots on the ground. It's hard to to justify what we get to do because we pull into an area like this and we just get to hunt. We go into the field today in a freaking Prevost tour bus that's valued at about a million and a half and we get out and they did all the work. And then we get out of the blinds and they do all the work again. We help pick up a little bit, but I don't take that for granted. Having boots on the ground and being able to be invited into that man's peanut field and hunt with his 15-year-old son and lay there with stamps and know that, hey, this is their deal. They work yeah, their asses off in networking year round to keep these farmers and landowners happy. We'd be ignorant as hell to come in here and be like, oh, this is our show. So thank you to Blue. Thank you to Trey. Thank you to the entire crew at Flatline Outfitters for always having our back and putting us on the ducks, putting us on the geese. But we're also going to release this on This Life Ain't For Everybody because there was a lot of life lessons thrown down tonight with Randy Couture and discipline and mindset and, and visualization and strategy, the fight game. How do you transition from going from Mr. Natural in this character to now he is a movie star in all these movies? Hendo had to make that transition too from going from Captain America and being the man that he was knocking out Fedor with a punch that nobody ever saw coming 
to then he had to transition. Now he's an entrepreneur. He's running businesses. He has a gym. He's about to open up Hendo's Brew House to Mecula, California. It's coming soon. We might even have Michael Ray and Gary LaVox come down there and play the grand opening. Maybe even invite Cody Cannon and Whiskey Myers. We're going to have a stage at this venue, right, Hendo? Absolutely. We're going to have a lot of music, Temecula, California. So be looking for that coming up soon. So this is going to be released on the Foul Life podcast. This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. This Life Ain't For Everybody came from the great city of Nashville, Music City, USA, Tennessee. Losers Bar in Midtown is a sign behind where the band sits in. It said, this life ain't for everybody. And in 2008, Randy Couture, I took a picture of that. I just got it on my phone still. And I said, I'm trademarking that. So I went to work and I trademarked it and I got it. And they're still selling shirts with this life ain't for everybody on it. I'm not going to do anything. I couldn't, but that, that, that sat in my brain. I'm like, well, that kind of is implying country music coming up in the honky tonks, living that Nashville's lower Broadway life, trying to network all the time, but you're getting drunk every night. You're partying. It's a grind. It's a grind. Right. And so I wanted to apply that. Like nobody's life is for everybody. Your life isn't for me. My life might not be for you, but if we all just pump the brakes, And what you just said, have some empathy and listen to people. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Don't judge them too quick. Get to know them. There's a lot more chance and opportunity and potential for friendship than there is of being a critic and being an asshole to somebody or being a keyboard warrior and thinking that you have the ability to judge somebody without really getting to know them. So this life ain't for everybody came from that mindset of like what you do might not be for me and what I do might not be for you. So hopefully y'all enjoyed that. The great Randy Couture, the great Gary LaVox, the legendary Dan Hendo Henderson. I'm Chad Belling. This has been another episode of this life ain't for everybody in the foul life. Thank y'all so much for the downloads and subscriptions. Brand new episodes have been Nelly's The Foul Life airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Check out our reruns on the My Outdoor TV app, Mo TV. Download it right now. Unbelievable holiday deal. Stay safe out in the field. Have empathy. Have compassion for the animals. Respect for the resource. This song right here we're going out with is by Mr. Gary the Vox. His brand new single. You want to sing a little bit of the first verse and then we'll go into the track. Go ahead. Yeah, we talk with the draw. Yeah, we sound like, how about just the chorus? Go for it. Yeah, go download it. I'll wait for you. It's on iTunes. (laughs) 99 cents. Go ahead. We'll wait. Okay, you ready? Hey, are you with me? If you want to take it out of the city, get a little bit more nitty gritty, do some midnight fishing and some moonlight kissing. Come on, let's ride. Dance in the land of the milk and honey. Down here we do it upright. If you want to get you slipping out like that, burn away a life we about like that. Ain't your fault that you ain't from a town like that. Let me show you how to get down. We pour a little coke on our crown like that We funk it up a little Bruno Mars like that Put it all together, make it sound like that Well, hey, if you're with me If you want to take it out of the city Get a little bit more nitty-gritty Do some midnight fishing and some moonlight kissing Come on, let's ride